When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna It's good evening. It is just after 7 o'clock here on SENZ. Extra time. Ricardo Paul with you through till 11 o'clock this evening. And it is time for Rewind, where we recap the big talking points from the world of sport. And, you know, we really have to start with the All Blacks. They went down 26-10. I'm sure you know their fifth defeat in the last six tests Seventh probably uh, was uh, six defeat probably on the way this weekend. I can't see a way out of this. Uh, it was the biggest loss they've suffered to the box in 94 years in the professional era. But you go right back to the 1920s. It's a long way back. Uh, and who knows, they might beat it again this weekend. We'll have to see. This is how everything played out. Now back Seven for Pollard. A test here for Bowden Barrett. Ball pops up for Yard. Pops oh. it away, and the street blocks are in. Kentley Aronsa the try. Caleb Clark finds a bit of space. He's on his own, though. Can he do it? Go! He can do it. Well, oh, no. What a chase. I thought he could do it. They will score. score. They do score. Shannon Frizzell. Christie swings it away for Moanga. Oh, danger there. Then it's been dropped by Frizzell. And try scored. Billy LaRue. Billy LaRue on the spot, toes it ahead with his left foot. And the Springboks finish in style. Andre Pollard to put a full stop on this game, which he does. Springboks too good on the day. And they get the victory. And the first win in the Rugby Championship by 26 points to 10. Yeah, 26-10 means Foster has now lost nine of 25 tests in charge of the three-time world champions. Predecessor Steve Hansen suffered 10 defeats and 107 games in charge. That's sinking. Uh, let's uh, move on to something brighter. Uh, Scott Dixon, he's moved to outright second on the list of IndyCar's most prolific winners with 53 victories after winning the Music City Grand Prix, beating compatriot Scott McLaughlin just. There was a drag race at the end to see uh, who would win this one. After starting 14th on the grid, Dixon's win moves him into second in the IndyCar Drivers' Championship, sitting six points behind leader Will Power. There are three races left in the season. This year, after having such an eventful Whoa. start to the race, McLaughlin tries to drag race Dixon and can't do it. Scott Dixon wins the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. 
Yeah, only AJ Foyt has won more races than the Kiwi now with 67. Uh, tell you what, I watched that and I thought, man, these IndyCar drivers obviously don't drive street circuits very often because they was the, I think I, I could be wrong with this number, but I'm trying to think roughly, maybe half a dozen put it into the wall through the race. There were so many have to have race restarts. But anyway, we'll get more into that with Eric Thompson after 10 o'clock tonight talking motorsport. To the NRL, and the New Zealand Warriors slumped to another loss, this time 48-10 to the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Interim coach Stacey Jones was scathing of the side's performance, and if anybody in the team cares, they should take a good hard listen to what he had to say. Since I've taken over as in this role, it's probably the most disappointing I've been. You know, from I thought our, our attitude to defence was terrible. I just want to see some real care in the jersey. And you know what, I saw that, um, you know, for, for a month before, I saw some real care in the jersey, and tonight I didn't. No, tonight you didn't. Definitely, particularly that first half. You must have given them a spray at half time because they certainly picked up the uh, defensive workload in the second half. But by then the game was already gone. To the EPL now, and there were some big results in the opening round of the games for the new season. Liverpool were held by Fulham to all. Manchester United lost 2-1 to Brighton. But Erling Haaland made a stunning debut to English football, scoring both goals in Manchester City's win over West Ham. The goals were impressive. His post-match chat even better. going to take it and who was going to score it on his debut in the Premier League Harlan off and running Gundogan that put it wide he's onside Harlan only one result 2-0 in front of the City fans he's dancing there too somewhere and Harland not once but twice could be more. You think he should have walked away with a hat trick? Yeah, I could. Uh, if you saw the Gundo right before I went off, uh, I should have been there. So, uh, a b- but that's how it is. Steady with the language. Not good language in this country. No, not at all, Erling. Uh, lastly, we've got to touch on the Com Games. And Aaron Gates sprinted into history at the event as he became the first New Zealander to win four gold medals at one games. New Zealand now has 48 medals in total, 19 gold, 13 silver and 16 bronze. More will be up for grabs on the final day. So there you go, that is Rewind for you. I'll tell you what is coming up in the next four hours here on Extra Time. Not far away, Hamish Bidwell with Media Watch. Uh, Hamish casts a critical eye over the big stories in New Zealand. Then we go to West Island and Pete Fairburn chimes in uh, with the big sporting stories out of Australia. After 8 o'clock, we'll catch up with Stephen Gallagher from sportsfreak.co.nz to talk NRL. Brendan Nell's going to join us out of the Republic as well, one of the leading rugby writers there with his thoughts on what he's seen from the All Blacks and those All Black press conferences as well. From 9 o'clock, it is at the Oki. We're going to have an hour of darts talk, including Big Ben Rob live in studio as well. After 10, we'll catch up with Eric Thompson on motorsport and Vic S. She's a football firm goalkeeper now playing for the Glasgow Giants, Glasgow Rangers. We'll catch up with her. All that and more between now and 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. Up next, though, it is Hamish Bidwell and Media Watch. It is 12 past seven here on SENZ Extra Time. Hamish Bidwell joins us. Uh, Hamish, I know you're not a real American, but I thought you might have appreciated the opening couple of lines of that song. Yeah, who is it? Well, it's the, it's the Hulk Hogan theme song. 
Oh, excuse me. <laughs> That's all right, mate. I, 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 I assumed that every time we, you know, we ring and talk to you, you're wearing one of your WWF shirts from the past. You know, <laughs> Macho Man, Randy Savage, maybe. You know, I don't know, Ravishing Rick Rude. I don't know who you're a fan of. Brutus the Be- Barber Beefcake, maybe. Um, yeah, I was thirteen once. Um, oh, the Ultimate Warrior, he was up there. Oh, he was um, up there. The Junkyard Dog. Junkyard um, Dog. Yeah, Macho yeah. Man. He's all right. Yeah. That's all right, Macho Man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now that opening well, line. I didn't like the Hulk. You I didn't. I wanted him to get his ass handed to him, but he never did. did no, he, really. No, we did. He would do, and then he'd do that thing where he would shake his head and stand up like it didn't really hurt. Oh, who can who who can believe that we believed that for so long? Well, it was blood, and I remember people falling off a cage and stuff. You sort yeah. of think, well, it's, it's a hard fall, but no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Now, the opening line of that, uh, which I think is why Ben played it, is when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. Um, and and I thought, given <laughs> that we were about to talk all black South Africa, it was a, it, it was probably a well-chosen piece of music. Yeah, interesting times, though, for that. Like, I, um, I wrote something today for someone, and... Um, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better because mm. as rugby is being played and as test rugby, what the, the means to be effective in test rugby, we don't possess. We've um, we've valued athletes over rugby players for a long time now. You know, guys like Trevor Narakani and Franz Malherbe, the, the Springboks props, they wouldn't even get a game in Super Rugby because they're not fast enough. They can't chip and chase. They can't fend. They don't. They probably can't dunk a, dunk a basketball. But they're actually really good at scrummaging and they can get a penalty every single time and that's kind of handy. Mm. And, you know, we can tinker around pitches with coaches and, and one or two different players, but essentially we can compete with actual forward packs and we're not going to start doing that as far as I can tell. Now there's uh, been some talk that uh, you know, because I, I, I think most of the New Zealand rugby public uh, want Scott Robertson to take the job and assume that he's going to turn things around pretty quickly. But uh, I, from everything I've been reading, I, he he doesn't want the job. Not this close to a World Cup, which is interesting. I think after the way he's been treated, he would be foolish not to do it entirely on his terms. Yeah, and if his terms aren't, if he's not suited by taking it at the last minute, receiving a hospital pass, if he's got there's more method than just blind ambition behind what he's up to, then yeah, I would absolutely applaud him, you know? And, and this, I, th- I think I've seen people say the sort of unpatriotic almost to want to win the Rugby World Cup with two different nations. Well, this is either professional sport or it's bloody rinky-dink club rugby where you, you're loyal to Maris and you never go and play for old boys. Do you know what I mean? Like, what are we talking about here? Is this professional footy or not? So... To be I fair, though, you, Mark, well, you'd have to recant your Catholicism if you didn't play for Marist. <laughs> Look, I, I, I've been a non-Catholic and played for Marist, but I've felt grubby. Two Marist clubs, actually, in cricket, but that's life. It is life, mate. That is life. Yeah, it's an interesting one. There were no one. weird initiations. I didn't have to bend over and take one for the team. I wasn't slapped on the ass with anything. I just... Played a bit of cricket. Yeah, just played a bit of cricket. That's all right. I think it's more rugby that they do that sort of stuff. But that's all right. We'll we'll, we'll get all to right, the, we'll get to that later, mate. We'll get, we'll keep we'll keep the uh, broom cu- cu- cupboard in, in Inglewood firmly shut uh, for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, definitely what I was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, yeah, I mean that's the thing because we have heard. Uh, you know, Chris Foy from the Daily Mail told me uh, he was on that tour of England to Australia, and while they were in Coogee, that Scott Robertson was around the camp for a couple of couple of days. I mean, all signs for me point to him taking over from Eddie Jones at the end of the next World Cup, don't they? 
Oh, yes and no. I mean, he spent time with Trent Robinson and Craig Bellamy and Tim Sheens in his career. He didn't suddenly start coaching an NRL club. So, yeah, I mean, I could buy that to a point. He's, he's probably, he'd be right to put out feelers and to have networking with people and, and the pits with the brains of people. But whether that means he's getting into the bed with them, we'll wait and see. But, yeah, I think what we've seen, if we strip it all back, you know, the foster, the cane, the whatever, rugby standing, and I don't mean capital R rugby, the standing of rugby from New Zealand has been incredibly diminished, hasn't it? And uh, no one rates us anymore, no one fears us anymore, and the way we've treated people for decades is coming home to roost because we have no allies left on or off the field. You know, no one wants to play multinational competitions with us, no one's going to bail us out, everyone's going to rejoice in our demise. Like it's it's a pretty crippling situation they found themselves in, isn't it? Mm, yeah, very. And all of their own doing, really. I mean, that, that's the thing yeah. that's coming. You know, that's I'm big. hearing from the Australian um, rugby journos and South African rugby journos. It's like, well, you know, this is this is this is all on uh, on the board. And you know that I saw Jamie Wall was on breakfast the other day, and he basically said once they get rid of Foster, they all need to sack themselves as well because they're responsible for the situation. Yeah. So like I've. You know, you and I have kicked the foster topic around a bit and I've never wavered in my view going back to before he was appointed and I and I won't waver, but I've come to the point where I just can't I just can't be bothered with it. I'm just so boring. Like it's it's so embarrassing for the code to, for the man to speak. Every word that comes out of his mouth is just a further humiliation. Like I just think he's a he's actual an embarrassment to the code, and he's certainly an embarrassment to New Zealand rugby. And he should be sacked immediately. And I, I can't get away from that. But I I sheet the blame for everything on NZ Rugby now. It's it's entirely their fault. They've mismanaged everything incredibly poorly. And as you know, you mentioned Razor before. How can we? And I'd say this all the time. How can we only have two potential candidates? One who's hopeless, and one who's eccentric, to be the All Blacks coach. <laughs> The other thing, too, is like, you know, you're a similar vintage to me. Once upon a time, we had coaches for a year or two, a year or three. Same with captains. Now we have to be, they have to be ensconced for a decade and they have to um, ride off into retirement and in some sort of glorious finale. Like, that never occurred, whether you were Graham Murray or Brian Lahore or Wayne Shelford. Like, your time came, you did the job, and then you didn't do the job, and that was it. And we, but we think of, with ourselves, like, if we have to, we have to have a captain for a decade. We must have a coach for a decade. It's just such absurd, flawed, lazy thinking, and they deserve everything that's coming to them. Mm. I, I thought, um, you know, and it's certainly been brought up uh, by by many different people, but his comments in the press conference afterwards it did him no favours at all, pretending that that was, you know, what did he say, the best performance of the year so far, when it was a record loss, you know, the biggest loss to the Springboks in 94 years or whatever it was. I mean, how... How stupid does he think the rugby public are that he can say things like that and people will just swallow it and go, oh, okay, everything's fine then. But that's the level of delusion that comes from top down at New Zealand rugby. That's that's the dislocation between themselves and the rest of us. Like they just, they live in a, an artificial world, a world full of yeses and absolutes and you're amazing and you're exceptional and the rest of us are all donkeys. Like they just, so they don't, the grasp on reality is, is so tenuous, and that's an example of it. You know, like, I go on about this a bit, but when I used to cover the team, you were reminded at all times of the exceptionalism of everyone within the environment, 
whether it's EZR staff, whether it was the All Blacks themselves, and you were reminded at all times how insignificant and pathetic you were and how they almost, um, for amusement, treated you badly, inconvenienced you, were horrible to you because they could. They sort of, it was like um, a child with a magnifying glass and an ant. Do you know what I mean? Like that was how they treated you. And they got amusement from that and enjoyment from that because it helped bolster their belief in their exceptionalism. And like when you hear Foster speak, no sane person can 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 listen to what he's saying and think it comes from, or, you know, that he, he can't believe that someone would say that. It just seems so incomprehensible and so absurd. And yet he says it with a straight face because of the environment that's been created, he probably believes it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if, he, if he can't be honest, you know, with himself, he's not going to be honest with us. Um, and everything that I've uh, that, that we've been hearing, I, know, I think Paul Cully wrote a piece on it, was that he left to go to South Africa knowing that if he didn't come back with at least one win, he was doomed. And after that first test, I can't see them getting a win at Alice Park. Uh, but there seems to be there's a gentleman's agreement with you know New Zealand rugby that he will walk away rather than be sacked, so they, they financially it won't uh, impact them too much, which um, seems an absurd way of doing things again as well. But the travelling media ought to be shot too, and some of them are sort of friends and former colleagues and that, but they're allowing him to say this nonsense. And, they, you know, the stuff today is about, you know, I, I've got a great feeling that something's coming and, you know, we've got more tricks up our sleeve and it's not far. I don't know how you can let the man, you'll let the man get away with talking such rubbish. And even if you're going to quote it, well, quote it to damn him. Quote, him, quote it to make him look more ridiculous than he already is, but don't. Don't write it like, oh, take take heart, all black fans. Something mm. could be something could be brewing. It's not brewing. It hasn't been brewing for bloody years. And this idea that it's suddenly going to appear at Alice Park, give it strength. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like uh, some weird satire. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's let's move on. Let's talk uh, Warriors, mate. Because uh, you yeah, go from. But can I just say, like, yeah. quickly, like I do think people should prepare for that because we have undervalued the things that are of value in Test rugby in terms of the size and shape of the athletes that you have and the way you play the games. We've gone for a sort of um, scrums as a mechanism to restart a game, but like rugby league, we pick big, tall, heavy uh, ball carriers, but like rugby league, guys with an offload, but guys who can't actually cut it in test rugby. And until, it doesn't matter whether it's Foster or whether it's Robertson, we do have a fundamental flaw in the way we've developed the game and prepared athletes to play it. And so there's going to have to be some soul-searching and a bit of realisation that under the laws that exist now, we can't be competitive. And so whoever does get the job, they'll, they'll know that. And if there's fan base, we have to be conscious of that too because I just don't think, whether it's Ta'abao or Lola or when they come back, if it's Tyrell Lomax, we actually don't have a competent, tight head prop in this country. And that's a bit of a problem. It's a, it's a, this is a massive problem, mate. It's a massive problem. Um, now, we should talk uh, rugby league as well, uh, the Warriors. Stacey Jones' comments after the game. Uh, I don't know if you watched any of that game against uh, the Rabbitohs, but honestly, at times, in the first half particularly, it was awful. I mean, there were a couple of guys there, as I said, said uh, yesterday, that I thought they were you know, ushers in a the theatre showing Latrell Mitchell which way to which way to his seat. Um, that because that's what it looked like. And I mean they must have got a spray at half time because they were a lot better in the second half. But I mean Stacey Jones came out and said that there are, you know, basically there are a bunch of blokes not playing for the jersey. Um, I mean, you know, you think the All Blacks have got problems, man. I mean Warriors, I think uh, where do they go next? 
Yeah, and I watched the whole of that. And actually, my poor wife came into the room at one point. She said, oh, my God, who's that? Is that the little general? God, he's aged. Is that really him? I said, yeah, that's a joke. But you would, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I, I watched this post-match uh, quotes where he was talking about the things you mentioned about the lack of effort and the lack of desire. I mean, he, he looked a sad, tired, lonely old man, didn't mm. he? You know, you think of him as this fresh-faced kid with a chip in a chase and a wink in his eye, a glint in his eye, great little player. Like, those guys won't even play for him. Like, who will they play for? Like, they, that club is rotten, and I, I go on about this a lot. I, I sheet a lot of it back to Sean Johnson. I think his effort is absolutely lamentable. I think he's one of the more gutless rugby league players I've ever seen. And they finally cut ties with him and they bring him back. What did they think was going to happen? Like, you cannot have your best-paid star player being one of your worst offenders when it comes to lack of accountability on defence, lack of willingness to put a shoulder in, lack of willingness to put your head in the dark place. Like, it just sends a message to the team that, hey, it's not a big issue, you know? And so... Jones was talking about we've got four weeks to go. Come on, fellas, please, I'm begging you. Can we just try and show some effort? Like, they've absolutely given up. And it's, it's hard. Like, they don't exist in Australia. They're, they're, they're a non-entity. They are irrelevant. But we give them a lot of coverage here because they're a one-team nation. But really, they don't deserve to be covered. They don't deserve to be debated. People shouldn't even bloody well watch them. I do because, well, I have to talk about them. But... Um, they don't deserve that. The players certainly don't even hardly deserve to be paid. And I'm t- I don't want to hear about, you know, the sacrifices, the living out of suitcases, the dislocation. Like, mate, it's a failing club that people, A, don't want to go to, and B, if they do come to, don't want to stay at. Like, they've got some serious problems. And as you mentioned, if we compare them to New Zealand rugby, they are at another, they're at another organisation that needs a complete clean-out because the people running that club are failing that club and are certainly failing rugby league fans who must must be shamefaced a lot of the time, must find it hard to, to wear their Warriors jersey, must find it hard to feel proud of their club because there's no pride of the performances of the players. I did think uh, our breakfast show here, um, Izzy and Kempi for breakfast, uh, got it right. They did a they did a poll. They do a poll every uh, every Monday and every Friday uh, and their poll a couple of weeks ago was who's worse, Mark Robinson or Mark Robinson? <laughs> I believe Mark oh, Robinson shaded it. Yeah, yeah. So there you right. go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's 50-50, isn't it? It is, mate. Very 50-50. Uh, and finally, before we let you go, mate, have you started watching the Commonwealth Games yet? No, I haven't. Okay, good. No, what's oh. been happening? No, it's, I, I mean, I'm aware of it, clearly. Like, I'm a news junkie and I, I rely on... Um, radio and, and, and print stuff and a bit of podcast carry on to try and get topics to write about and talk about. So I'm conscious of it's, the fact that it's on. In fact, you can't really avoid it. But no, I haven't watched it. I haven't read about it. It was interesting. I was listening to SE in Australia and they had Maddie and Andrew Johns and well-known rugby league writer David Riccio on on Friday. None of them have watched it. None of them care. And they, they you know, Australians normally sort of give the revel in success with their athletes and then, and, and, you know, that whole Occam mentality takes over, but they just said they're bored of it. No one cares. It's a non-event over there. So I don't know if that's a, a widespread feeling here. Um, it's certainly, like, I'm aware that it's been successful games for, for New Zealand, but it hasn't gripped me. hasn't even bloody well turned it on. What have you thought of it? Uh, well, to be honest, I haven't watched much. And, you know, last week I was off 
because I had the flu, mate. I got hit by a truck. I thought I had COVID. I tested negative three different times. So I put it down. I must have had the flu. But I was sidelined for quite a while and on the couch. Uh, and I still didn't watch any of it. So there you go. It was the start of the Premier League season, and there was a whole bunch of stuff on Netflix I had to watch. So I read I read some reports. Uh, you know, I, I, I cruised through stuff and News Hub and stuff like that to find out what had been going on, but I didn't actually watch any of it. So there you go. It's a great day, isn't it? Manchester United lose again. Roy Keane's on tally. Not rating McFred and McTominay. You know, I just... Just the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? Yeah, unless you're a United fan, in which case it's it's, it's a recurring nightmare, recurring nightmare. Thanks for that, Hamish. Thanks. Uh, good stuff, mate. Go well. Cheers, mate. Hamish Bidwell there with Media Watch for us. When we come back, we're calling West Island and catching up with Pete Fairburn. It is 26 away from eight. Time to bring in the flash bugger from over the Tasman. It is uh, Pete Fairburn. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. I didn't know you re- you realised or remembered. I'm a massive fan of Queen. My uh, my eldest son's name is Freddie. Um, and rest assured, it's not named after Fitler. So uh, what a what a fantastic intro! You're giving me a real pump up there. Nice, mate. Nice. You didn't you, you went with Freddie over Brian or, or Roger or John? Oh, mate. You know us Aussies. We love to be the showman, you know, the front man, and uh, it just falls very naturally for us. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if our mates across the ditch were. Yeah, a bit more like a John Deacon type and a little bit more reserved. But no, we like to be the centre of attention. And uh, yeah, that's why why you call us to, to say the big things and tell you how good our Wallabies are going, for example. Well, for example, mate, yeah, yeah. It was a great comeback win in that uh, that match because I, uh, watching that, you were nine points down, you got back into it and then you were nine points down again. I was like, how much more have they got left in them? Especially when Quaid went off with that ruptured Achilles. I, I, I you know, and you'd gone the 6-2 split on the bench, so you had to have Reese Hodge come in and play 10 effectively. Um, I, I wasn't sure how you were going to go, but, man, you, you ran the RGs down in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, it was gutsy, wasn't it? And, um, you know, I, I think it was Tim Horan who, who said that, you know, when you're playing in Argentina with the, the crowd right on top of you, it's a fairly hostile environment. And, um, you know, it, it's almost like you know, the, the halftime deficit or lead is, you know, add another 10 points onto it. So... I thought it was a really, really gutsy performance, a, a fair degree of um, disruption during the week with uh, Dave Parecki and then Michael Hooper being ruled out of the match and, and then obviously Quaid suffering a really serious injury, um, you know, already on the back of a number of injuries suffered, um, you know, during the England series. So I, I thought it was a really, really gutsy performance and, and one that, uh, you know, I'm sure Dave Rennie will take plenty out of, two great debutants, um, but I'll talk to you a little bit about shortly in, in Jed Holloway and Matt Gibbon. And, man, have they got some, some great stories to get to where they've been uh, able to make a, a test debut for the Wallabies as well. So, look, a, a fair degree of, um, of positivity over these ways about the performance. Uh, the problem now becomes a case of trying to work out who's going to be the general, who's going to be the playmaker, because we finally got to see Quaid on the field for the first time this year. And, and it was, look, it was the type of rocks and diamonds performance we've come to expect from from Quaid, but, uh, you, you know, you generally always see the best of him and the worst of him at the same time. But, um, you know, I, I think at the same time, Coach Rennie's really, um, you know, had played his hand over the last 12 months or so to say that, that Quaid was the man that he saw playing in that 10 jersey, really probably right through to next year's Rugby World Cup. So it's a, a case of resetting now. And, you know, Dave and, and his team have to come to, to terms with the fact that, you know, an injury of that nature and, and at Quade Trooper's age, we may not see him back in that gold jersey again. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that, actually. I mean, you know, he's 63 or something. 
Um, I don't know how long those injuries take to recover from, but can he recover and get back to that level ahead of a World Cup? Has he got time? Yeah, well, I'd love to say it's 63 years of living rent-free in, in Kiwi's head, but then the reality is that you've got the body of work results-wise to suggest that maybe it's the other way around. Mm. Uh, look, the Achilles injuries and the calf before it, they're what people in, in elite sport often say are, are old man injuries. Um, there's no escaping that fact. And unfortunately, um, you know, he, he plays his rugby, obviously, in Japan in the second division over there. Um, you know, if, if you're talking a... a you know, 10 to 12 months recovery and then trying to get some footy in next year. It doesn't leave much of a runway before that Rugby World Cup. And um, look, if he were to make it back somehow and be involved in the squad, it'd be a, a phenomenal achievement. And love him or loathe him, I, I think if he could earn his way back and, and be diligent in his rehab and demonstrate that he, he had something to offer in that squad, um, you'd have to celebrate that. But right now, uh, it's just really not not viable, I guess, for the Wallabies selectors to move forward considering him a key part of those Rugby World Cup plans. Well, what next then? I mean, is it as simple as you you go, you invest in youth now? or Not that he's super young, but, you know, he's, he's had a crack, got found out a little bit, he's come back and been better and know a lot of seal, or do you look at James O'Connor? I mean, who do you think is the 10 for the next six months then? Yeah, look, I think you've got, to, you've got to back in the guys who are in that squad already. So there's been talk about Bernard Foley. He had a good season in Japan with, with Kubota and took a, a fairly ordinary squad to the semifinals in Japan. And, uh, you know, obviously has played a lot of tests in that Wallaby jersey, brings a lot of experience. There's talk about Kurtley Beale, of course. He's signed to play with the New South Wales Waratahs next year and is likely to be in the mix for the spring tour after finishing up over in, over in France, and uh, he's currently rehabbing an injury himself. Um, you know, and, and I'm probably not all that in favour of, of Kurtley Beale being an option at all, personally, let alone in the 10 jersey, where he hasn't really played any footy there in a long time. But you look at the Wallabies squad, you've got James O'Connor in there. He's had a disrupted, uh, you know, two or three months, really, with some injuries, and came in and played in the second test against the English and, and was a bit off the boil. Um, you've got Noah Lodiceo there, who um, you know now has got um, you know t- two years of Test footy into him, and and clearly um, some good moments and some not so good moments. Uh, but they've invested a lot of time, a lot of energy in Noah, um, and then you've got Reece Hodge there as your third ten in the squad, covering lots of positions. Does give you the opportunity to have that six-two split on the bench, which we saw on the weekend. And really, if you were going to bring anybody from outside that mix into the squad, you'd have to have a pretty compelling argument for it. And, uh, you know, for, for mine, if you were, you, you look to the next in line, who was playing for Australia A over in Fiji in the Pacific Nations Cup last month, and you look at, at one of the young Waratahs in Ben Donaldson or Tane Edmed. But for me, I, I don't think they have the runs on the board at the moment. I, I don't think there's a lot to gain by bringing them into the squad and into the environment. Um, maybe if we were two or three years out from a Rugby World Cup, I'd think a little bit differently. But you know, if I'm Noah Lolliseo, um, you know, I know the pressure's on. I know that every time I've, I've worn that gold jersey, the pressure's on. And, um, you know, you're, you're already playing the most intense position on the field and, and so much rests on your performance. If he doesn't get the unequivocal backing from here to... Um, look, at the very least, he, he needs to be in every Wallaby Test 23 from now until the end of the season uh, to demonstrate, you know, whether... It is all in on, on him, um, or, or, or whether um, Dave Rennie's going to go in a different direction. I, I think you've invested the time, you've invested the energy, you've got to back him in and, and see whether he can make it. And I was saying to someone just before, 
I think that's what you guys would do over the ditch. Um, I know right now things aren't, aren't necessarily going all that swimmingly for the All Blacks, and um, I'm sure your listeners have, have probably had enough of that and don't need to hear from, from a bloke over these ways talking about that. But I would like to think, as a general rule, what, what you guys have demonstrated with someone like a, a Richie Mwanga, for example, when he was first brought into that test environment, is, is you know, someone was identified as being a, you know, an extremely talented player in that position and was given a, a, you know, a consistent opportunity and backed in to learn at that level and, and to demonstrate that he could translate super rugby form into international form. And I think that's what we need to see Dave Rennie do with Noah Lollisier now. It'll be interesting to see as uh, what, what they do do going forward. Of course, got another test this weekend against the Argies over there. It's going to be interesting. Uh, hopefully it's as, uh, as entertaining as uh, the last one, mate. Um, now, Pete, you've been around the blocks a few times. I, I just hope for your sake that at no point in time have you upset Ricky Stewart's kid on a football field because what would he say about you? Uh, I mean, are, you are you a gutless dog of a bloke or, or not? Look, I've been called many things, generally a bit of a loudmouth or, or a polariser, but never a gutless dog. What an extraordinary outburst. And, um, you know, what, what a highly inappropriate, uh, you know, thing for, for a head coach to say with a platform like that. Um, you know, I, I just thought it was incredibly inappropriate behaviour from a guy who, who seems to feel he can get into a press conference environment and the rules don't apply to him. Um, you know, clearly... Um, details I'm sure will emerge over coming days of what that um, incident was, you know, 11 years ago when when Jamin Salmon played alongside Ricky Stewart's son at you know in, in junior rugby league and and clearly there's an incident there that um, has never healed and and until we know what that is, um, it's really hard to to kind of discuss you know whether whether that's something that should have been resolved. But at the same time, it doesn't excuse taking it into a forum like that and speaking about it without giving uh, Jamin Salmon or his family the opportunity to respond in the heat of the moment without providing any content behind it. Um, and if anything, what I thought it showed us was that, you know, Ricky Stewart w- w- was looking to take the attention off the fact that his Canberra Raiders team were given a golden opportunity, um, you know, to, to try and, and secure a spot in the top eight against the Penrith team missing, Nathan Cleary missing Jerome Luai and, and his Canberra team came up short and were found out again. And Viliami Kikau. Mate, I thought the same thing. I backed I backed the Raiders in in uh, recent form. They've been in pretty good nick. They've had a good run. I thought, oh, they should, they, with missing all of that, the the Panthers should, uh, they, the, the, sorry, the Raiders should take the Panthers here. It didn't happen, mate. I mean, scored that first try and then that was all she wrote. Yeah, that's it. And I was really close to tipping them. I got my, my one wrong was when I tipped the Bulldogs in and almost started celebrating in the hour mark there, but that's, that's a story for another day. But look, um, I, I, just, I just thought it was, um, you know, to use his own vernacular, it was a pretty gutless way to, to try and deflect from, from you know, a pretty disappointing performance from a Canberra team who I, I still think are living off the reputation of making a preliminary final two years ago. We haven't really seen them do anything since. And Ricky Stewart's just had his contract extended. I mean, from my point of view... Uh, we saw earlier this year in the AFL, um, Western Bulldogs coach Luke Beveridge um, ha- had a massive um, issue or, or run run in at a, a press conference post game with a, a journalist from Fox Sports, and um, he, he received a pretty hefty fine after the fact. And actually, pretty similar personality types, Beveridge and um, and Ricky Stewart. And you know, I think when it comes to uh, you know disciplinary action here, and, and bear in mind, Ricky Stewart's got form of of teeing off in press conferences and, 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 you know, really bringing people's character into question, particularly referees in the past. But I, I'd be looking at, at a fine of a really heavy nature 
uh, you know, which you'd like to see paid by Stewart as opposed to the club. But also, I'd be looking at a suspension. I think it's you know entirely unacceptable. We you know we we punish our footballers when they um, you know do the wrong thing on or off the field, or um, you know if, if they um, you know the number of you know key players who are suspended at the moment and high-profile players at that for for doing the wrong thing from a tackling perspective. Um, I, I think the NRL needs to draw a line in the sand here, and, and I'd like to see Ricky Stewart suspended for at least a week, if not two. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I know he's got lots of mates in the media over there, doesn't he? I know Paul Kent's a, a big uh, fan of his, and uh, who's the other bloke? Hooper, I think. Um, is it James Hooper? That, uh, is yeah, it? James Hooper. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, he's already come out and said, we don't live in China. You can't ban him for saying that. Um, but, you know... Uh, It'll be interesting to see what does happen because they do drive a lot of the public opinion. Uh, there is something else I saw somebody floated. I don't know if it came from the NRL or somewhere else that they were floating the idea of banning him from the press conferences and the media sit-downs. I'm like, I don't know if that's a punishment if you're a coach. I'm like, thank nah, God I don't have look, to do that. Exactly. From my experience working in professional sport, there's not many coaches who want uh, you know, to fulfil media responsibilities. Look, we... I spoke about it, um, you know, with your colleague last week while you were probably off on, on holiday. But, um, you know, also some of the, the stuff relevant in the Commonwealth Games with Kyle Chalmers and what he's come out and, and the way in which he's spoken about, you know, the media turning turning uh, that Australian swim team into a soap opera and, and media being keyboard warriors. I'm slightly biased on this because I'm passionate about media and communications. But that being said, I'm passionate about athlete rights as well. And, I think that we actually need to have a broader conversation in this part of the world with athletes, with coaches about the role of the media, what the media is there to do, and the responsibility that they have to be good role models. You don't choose whether or not you want to be a role model when you decide to, to be involved in a public-facing thing like professional sport as a career. It comes with the territory. It's like being a fireman and saying, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to drive faster. You can't pick and choose. If you choose to be involved in professional sport, you do so in the public eye and you have a responsibility to behave responsibly. Um, just like the media have a responsibility to sell papers or to get people listening to their radio shows. They have no obligation to always be positive and promote these sports. So we need to have this, this broader conversation. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, look, it's relevant to, to obviously what happened you know, over there with, with Ian Foster and the press conference being cancelled. I'm sorry, guys. At the end of the day, you signed up for this. It comes with the territory. You've got to crack on and do it. You have a responsibility to do it appropriately. You know, bang on there, mate. It is part of the gig. It's, it's part of the job. It's what comes with the territory. Hey, finally, before we let you go, mate, you want to talk uh, everyone's favourite tennis player, Nick Kyrgios, uh, going great guns in the States at the moment, reached the final in Washington. Has, is it just me or is his playing career actually on the up and up in the last year? Well, that's why I wanted to mention it. I think he actually, he's won the singles and won the doubles over there in Washington. So great prep heading into the US Open and obviously coming off the back of, of qualifying for his first ever Grand Slam final where he went down to, to Novak at, at Wimbledon. And, um, you know, this is a guy who seemingly in the past has, has lamented the fact that he didn't care enough to really be as successful as his talent uh, probably allowed him to be. But it's one of the great turnarounds. You know, the, the, the way that he's playing at the moment He's really confident that he can beat anyone on his day. And, uh, you know, we know that, that with athletes who, who are so, um, I guess, temperamental in their, in their emotions, we know it could all change on a dime. But right now you're looking at a guy and thinking, this is a guy who, who really has his you-know-what together and, and could be challenging to win Grand Slams consistently. Um, you know, pretty soon he goes into the US and then, of course, the Australian Open in January. So he can really focus on hard court 
hard court tennis at the moment where, where he really does shine. Um, you know, I think it's really, really exciting. And, uh, you know, I talk about someone like Ricky Stewart being an atrocious role model. I think Nick Kyrgios has clearly got some of his own demons and, and I don't condone the way he carries himself at all times. But in terms of his ability to apply himself and to, to try and extract every ounce of talent out of himself, I can't believe this is the example I'm using, but he is quickly becoming a guy who is a shining light to, to you know, all aspirational people, um, you know, as they look at the sports world, as someone who could have gone down as one of the great unfulfilled talents of all time and is, is actually making all the copywriters out there scribble out the last paragraph and reconsider. Good stuff, Pete. Thanks for coming on and updating us from West Island. Uh, a treat as always, mate. And uh, we'll we'll try and figure out how uh, if we can play a song uh, for your for, for your uh, your newborn uh, that, that fits with her name soon. Yeah, that's right, mate. And you know, it'd be remiss of me not to say, um, you know, to, to remind you, just have a quick look at that English Premier League table and see where Leeds United are sitting in comparison to your mob, mate. Uh, far happier opening day this year for the Leeds boys. Yeah, very much so, mate. I've got you in my bottom three, to be honest, and uh, that surprised me. So we'll see how it goes. Only thirty-seven more rounds. Only thirty-seven more. <laughs> go, go well, Pete. Good on you, mate. Cheers, mate. There you go. Calling West Island. Do it every week here on Extra Time. It is 10 away from 8. That's SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock this evening. After 10 o'clock, sorry, not after 10 o'clock, after 9 o'clock, it is at the Oki. It is our fortnightly darts show. Big Ben Robb, uh, the number one New Zealand player, is going to be in studio. Uh, ben is uh, Ben Francis is going to be hosting this. Uh, who else have we got on the show this week, mate? Well, we're going to hear a little bit from uh, Gerwin Price and Dimitri Vandenberg. Caught up with them before uh, they jetted off to Australia. They're currently on the plane now. And uh, our big interview leading off the top is uh, with a bit of a history maker, New Zealand arts player, Victoria Monaghan. Uh, you'll hear all about that after 9 o'clock. OK, so there you go. Stay tuned for that, uh, darts fans. It'll be a big one and uh, it'll be good to have the big man, Big Ben Robin, as well looking ahead to the New Zealand Darts Masters uh, throughout the show too. Also coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk NRL with Stephen Gallagher from sportsfreak.co.nz. And Brendan Nell is going to join us as well, one of the top rugby writers out of the uh, Republic. He, he sent me an interesting uh, picture from August last year. It was a headline from a paper over there uh, and a quote from Ian Foster. Springboks versus Lions test put me to sleep. Uh, so I imagine that's going to get brought up in the press conferences this week ahead of the second test in South Africa. All that and more coming up here on Extra Time. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you right through until 11 o'clock uh, tonight. Uh, some news coming out of the Cowboys camp that they've lost Jason Tamalolo for a couple of weeks with a knee injury. Uh, they play the Roosters this weekend. Tell you what, we'll be getting on the Roosters about now, uh, the way that they have been tracking as well. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch of other stuff with Stephen Gallagher from uh, sportsfreak.co.nz. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, thank you, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Good. Uh, I've been I've been enjoying your uh, your Twitter updates, mate. Uh, if if you want to follow Stephen on uh, Twitter, you get uh, you get a wardrobe update every day before he goes to work. So it's quite entertaining. <laughs> You have quite the yeah, wardrobe, you, my friend. Yeah, what, what did you think about some some of the stuff last week? You know, go for a bit of colour, you know, try to try to bring the office up on a rainy, will, moody Wellington day, you know, just trying to do my best. Yeah, it was, it was the pink budgie smugglers that... Uh, that, that <laughs> I, I, uh, 
and, and obviously uh, you were at a beach wearing those, so I had to put the sunglasses on to recheck the screen just quietly. The, the glare was frightening. <laughs> oh, dear. Hey, look, you know, look, summer's coming pretty quickly, mate. That's all you need to know. All right. that's uh, good. Thanks for the reminder. Thanks for the reminder, mate. Hey, uh, so I, I think there's a few of the Warriors players who are already on the beach, mate, uh, based on that performance we saw against the Rabbitohs. Um, Stacey, just, uh, he looked at... He looked a devastated man after that game and things he said, uh, players not playing for the jersey, it must have been one hell of a spray. They got it half-time. Yeah, look, I, 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 this is probably the worst Warriors season I've seen in, in a long, long time. I think, you know, just is, is it a culmination of uh, COVID and, and everything catching up with them? And look, they're, just, they're just not a team. They don't play like a team. They don't look like a team. And, you know, I don't even think the Rabbitohs got out of second gear, to be fair, and that's being polite, you know. They just, they they trounced the Warriors. The Warriors had no answers, and they just, yeah, I would say there'd be a couple of uh, uh, New South Wales cup size and Queensland cup size that they're giving the Warriors a run for their money at the moment, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They, they come home this week to play the Dogs, and the way the Dogs are going under Mick Potter, you'd have to seriously look at them 13-plus, wouldn't you, if you were going to make oh, an investment? There's, there's... There's no way I'd be tipping the Warriors this weekend, that's for sure. I think the way that Mick Potter sort of had this had this Bulldog side, he's turned them around almost single-handedly. And if, if I think they had Mick Potter from the get-go and they've been playing uh, Flanagan and Burton in the half since round one, they'd probably be banging on the top door of the of the top eight, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. They would be, mate. They would be there or thereabouts. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what they do next season because apparently they're chasing Cameron Seraldo, but maybe that needs a rethink. Yeah, I don't know if they need him. I just think Mick Potter's probably the one that's um, the answer for them at the moment. He's been, whatever he's doing, it's working for them, and I think he needs to stay there and get the, get the best out of the boys. He obviously seems um, seems to be a good coach, and the players are responding to them, and, and they're only going to get better with uh, Viliame Kikau and uh, Reid Marnie next year. So, yeah, watch out for the Bulldogs in 2023. Yeah, well, exactly, mate. I mean, they get um, Kikau, as you said. They get Reid Marnie, who I, I still... Mate, as a Parramatta fan, I'm banging my head against the wall going, how do you let that bloke go but give Gutho a million a year? It makes no sense to me. Um, but but there you go. They will be a force to be... They'll be a top eight team next year, no doubt. Um, I, I, I think the dogs. Yep, absolutely. I'm 100% with you, Ricardo. They just look like uh, a team who have built really well and they've they've made the key acquisitions at right times and stuff like that. And, I mean, look, just look at the pulling power of Gus Gold. He's phenomenal, you know. Everything he does touches... Everything he touches tends to gold, so I've got no qualms that he'll he'll make sure that his fingerprints are all over their success in 2023. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought you were going to say everything he touches turns to gold, which would have been brilliant. You should, <laughs> you should look at using that as a headline in one of your articles. Uh, I've obviously been awake too early guys, this morning because um, I, I, I had all that set up and I just absolutely missed the, missed the door there. It's a bit disappointing on my, my part. I apologise. Hey, that's all right, mate. That's all right. We'll let you off. We'll let you off. Hey, um, uh, it's going to be a battle on Thursday of uh, the injury wards, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm just looking here who the Melbourne Storm are going to be without. Jerome Hughes is TBC because of a shoulder. Justin Ollum, TBC because of COVID. Uh, Jack Howarth, uh, Tepaya Moroa, uh, both with shoulder injuries out till next round by the looks of it. Will Warbeck, uh, quad next round. Nick Meany concussion round 22. Uh, 
indefinite. Trent uh, Loiro, uh, Ryan Pappenhausen for the season, obviously Remus Smith for the season with that peck injury. Uh, Achilles for Christian Walsh, uh, Welsh season. George Jennings knee season. So that's who the Storm are missing, right? Uh, the Panthers, they can add Kikau with his hip to be confirmed as to when he'll be back. Uh, Blacker, probably next round. Fisher-Harris is suspended until round 24. Nathan Cleary suspended until the finals and Jerome Luai knee out to the finals. I mean, it's going to be reserve grade. Yeah, look, it's it's really interesting because I thought that um, I thought that Canberra really had a great opportunity to put some points on Penrith and sort of upset upset the apple cart. But the way that the the Panthers conducted themselves, you know, even even without you know the best player in the competition, they still went really well. And I think this is a massive test for the Storm. I you know I, I don't know if if they've got the depth that they have uh, in years gone by, and I, I really believe that. Um, even though this this Panther side are blooding a few young players, that they'll they'll still get the points and they'll they'll still get the win against a, a Melbourne side, and I think that shows just sort of what what where Melbourne's at at the moment. Well, I tell you what, they've just officially signed Ali Katoa from the Warriors, um, so you guarantee. Uh, I don't know if the TIB will do a book on it, but he will be in the Dally M Team of the Year at the end of next season. Guarantee it. Yep. Anything to go by, um, you're pretty much uh, a, a lock in for, to leave the Warriors in second row and go somewhere else and be incredibly successful. That's that's what it looks like, mate. Um, uh, let's have a look at a couple of other things. You mentioned the Raiders, of course. A lot of the headlines, and this is typically Ricky Stewart, isn't it? He's taken the heat off his team by putting the heat on himself. Um, talking about uh, Jamin Salmon being a been a gutless dog of a bloke. Um, going back to some incident when he was 11, uh, that seems yeah. seems a bit OTT. Um, I just had Pete Fairburn on, uh, who's uh, an Australian correspondent for us, big league as well out of Brisbane. He says that they should throw the book at him, like you know, give him a big fine and suspend him from coaching for a week or two. Uh, but of course, he has a lot of apologists and James Hooper and Paul Kent in the media who are mates with him, and they're saying that would be an overreaction. Where are you on it? Uh, I, I incredibly believe that Ricky Stewart's comments on the weekend were incredibly out of line. They were disgusting. Uh, I, 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 he, he basically took a personal matter into the public. Um, uh, I don't know if you've sort of heard about what happened all those years ago, but, you know, whatever that happened and, and, and stuff like that, it, it should have been left in the past, um, bringing it up. And we obviously know that Ricky Stewart's an emotional uh, person, but... Uh, his comments were incredibly out of line. I'd like to see him suspended for, you know, a couple of games, a big fine. And we all know, you know, Ricky Stewart loves a $10,000 fine after a, a press conference. But um, I think this needs to be elevated even more. I just, I don't agree with what, what happened. Um, whether or not ja Salmon uh, intentionally kicked Tom Starling um, is yet to be determined. But the comments from Ricky Stewart were definitely out of line and I don't agree with them whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the history is. It was funny because I saw Fox Sport put the the clip up and then there was some, a few people commented on it and there was a bloke that commented whose son played in the same team and he mm. agreed with Stuart's comments and, and said he's exactly right about this bloke, he's a horrible person, uh, which I was like, oh, OK, all right, here we go, we've got somebody backing Ricky up. I don't know what the context of it all was, but I do have to say, having watched that clip, he definitely kicked Tom, Tom Starling in the nuts on purpose. Yeah, it is a tough one. Like, you know, rugby league. When you're playing the game, anything can happen. You know, like, and I, I personally, I don't believe it was intentional. But whether it was or whether it wasn't, probably beyond the point. Um, it was just that, 
what Ricky Stewart said after the match shouldn't have been said, mm. and um, he's probably going to pay the price for it now. So um, that, that's probably Ricky Stewart 101 at the moment. You know, he's just that's the sort of coach he is, and he he loves to sort of take take as you said take the heat off the players by putting the heat on himself. He's done it well, mate. He's done it well. Uh, let's move on to another team, the Sea Eagles. Uh, they really have gone off the boil, haven't they? I mean, I'm a para fan, and I was worried about this game, uh, particularly without Mitch Moses for a couple of weeks. I thought, oh, you know, the Seagulls, they, especially at Brookie, uh, that's a tough place to go. But Jake Arthur absolutely stepped up. I've not been convinced by him, but, boy, he made uh, DCE look ordinary a few times on defence. Yeah, and I thought Gutherson probably played his best game in the season too for um, for Parramatta. But, I, well, I was actually concerned about how much of a turnstile that... Um, uh, Garrick was Ruben Garrick mm. at the back for for Manly. He's he's normally a pretty solid defender, and um, he just was made to look silly by Mike Acevo and Clint Gutherson a couple of times. And um, you know they they drop another match, they got a really big chance of missing out on the finals because they are on that cusp of the eight, and and every game from here on in is quite crucial for Manly. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, I, I think that was one. I wouldn't say it was a must win, but if you if you uh, look at where they are on the ladder and what they've got to come. It was an underpowered, you know, it was a parasite that were out their best player, and it was a game they really needed to win. I mean, they're away at the Titans this weekend; they'll win that um, and and yep. and get back up the ladder a little bit. But still, I think that was a big missed opportunity. Uh, if you're a Manly fan, I mean, as things stand, uh, they're four points outside of the eight. You know, um, they don't have a bad points differential, but they're going to need a big win this weekend. Yeah, that's right, and I think you know that. that infamous Manly 7 game is going to come back and haunt them um, against a, another side vying for that 8th position but um, yeah they are under a lot of pressure but honestly cr- credit to credit to Parramatta, credit to Jacob Arthur, we saw him come in earlier this year and push Dylan Brown out to the centres and at the time every every man and his dog were thinking well, what the hell is going on here but it's it's paid the price you know the, Moses has gone down, Jacob Arthur stood up when it counts and, um, and they're going to probably get into the finals and, and Mitchell Moses will be back ready and Manly will probably miss out. Yeah, well, I mean, the way things are, Para and the Storm, uh, even on 28, they're fourth and fifth. Uh, the Storm are just ahead. Well, I wouldn't say just ahead. They're well ahead on points differential by about 150. But, you know, um, it's uh, yeah, touch and go on, on fourth place for, for, for Parramatta. Um, what about, uh, where are you at the moment on... Um, the wooden spoon, because I was looking at this the other day and thinking, I know the Titans haven't been able to buy a win, but I, I still think Holbrook's a decent coach. He's just not got the right pack. Uh, he's got too many youngsters running around. But they don't have the worst run. I mean, they've got the Seagulls this weekend. Then they play, I think, the Dragons, who haven't been great. They play the Knights, who haven't been great. Then they play the Warriors. Are there two wins in there for the Titans? And if they get two wins, should the Warriors be worried? Because I don't know if the Warriors get another win this season. Yeah, look, I think we're, we really could be seeing the New Zealand Warriors finish last for the very first time. But I think the Tigers are 15th. They had a pretty good opportunity to win last night, and they didn't. Um, the Titans are obviously a game behind the Tigers on, on eight points, but I think the Warriors might might be safe. They they pretty much just have to beat the Titans, um, and they'll be safe. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a fall from grace from the Titans, considering you know they they finished eighth last year and they were uh, uh, Patrick Herbert passed away from beating the Roosters in the round one of the finals. But um, 
things just haven't gone their way. I agree with you. I think Holbrook's a great coach, but uh, they're just a very young side, and I think they're they're almost desperate, uh, desperately waiting for Kieran Foran to get there in 2023 to give them a bit of experience and direction around the park, and just that sort of experience will, will pay dividends in the long run. Yeah, I mean, the Knights got up 14-10 over the Tigers, which was a bit of a surprise because I had tipped the Tigers in that one. They have been awful. Uh, they'll probably be another club looking for a coach next year, won't they? Yeah, and, I, you know, it was uh, last week, you know, Adam O'Brien was saying some really bizarre stuff in the post-match press conferences and all his comments throughout the week and how there's this uh, WhatsApp group chat going on, there's a player revolt, whatever's going on. It doesn't look good at Newcastle, that's for sure, and especially when they've got uh, their best player and their million-dollar man sitting on the sideline due to concussion protocols. It's, um, it's been a pretty dour season for the Knights, especially when they started 3-0 and this year, and Jake Clifford was looking like he was going to run away with the... Uh, with the Dally M and, and everything was all honky-dory and then um, pretty much turned around pretty quickly and they've only had, I think, three wins in, in the last 17 games. So it's been, it's been pretty tough if you're a Nova Castrian. Oh, very much so, mate. I mean, the thing is, though, obviously with uh, the Tigers, well, I mean, it looks like Sheen's going in there until Benji Marshall's going to be the saviour, which is another head-scratcher for me. Um, so you've got the Tigers looking, you'll have the Knights looking, the Warriors have made their decision. Uh, the Titans, you, you, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if the trigger gets pulled on Holbrook or they do something different there as well. There's certainly going to be a few clubs uh, in the mix looking for people. Yeah, look, you know, there's much like uh, halves, there's, there's not a coaching tree out there that anyone can just find a good coach from. I think two coaches that I believe should should be in there is, is Seraldo and I think Shane Flanagan's another one. But I also think Jeff Toovey, you know, he, he could probably do a great job coaching. Mm. Um, we've seen that in the past. You know, he's a passionate bloke, and he's he's been in charge of Manly, and he you know he knows how to get his players fired up. But um, don't know if, if you're getting rid of these coaches, you almost have to have someone better lined up. And if you're not getting someone better lined up, then you know you may as well stick with the same coach. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, that's a fair point actually. I mean, it's weird for me that Tuvi hasn't got another job because I thought he did a pretty good job at Manly. Um, you know, the fact that he, he's been out of coaching for, what, four years? I mean, to quote the man yeah. himself, I think there needs to be an investigation. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, I think he'd be um, pulling off every every door off its hinges to find himself a coaching job in the NRL, and I think he'd do a great job. You know, he, he spent a little bit of time over in the Super League. I don't really know what happened over there because you sort of, once you head over there, it's all it's all nothingness. But um, he he's definitely good enough to still be an NRL first-grade coach, and, and I fully believe that, and I think that... If, if he got another chance, he would probably show his credentials and why he deserves to be coaching again. Yeah, what are you? What are you actually on there? I, I mentioned the Warriors in passing there, and that they've made their their decision. What do you make of the the decision uh, to bring Cappy back as well as part of the backroom staff? Well, not backroom staff, is he? He's going to be like a director of football, head of recruitment type thing. Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously uh, he he had employed uh, Andrew Webster. Uh, when he was coaching and Andrew Webster was an assistant coach at the Warriors all those years ago or whatever role he had there and it almost seems like they're kind of getting the band back together in a different sort of format and uh, the Warriors to me are are a a side and a franchise that screams for the opportunity to start fresh you know and I don't know if getting McFadden back in in some form of capacity is going to help in any way but I, I think it's a great start having Webster as coach and you know we don't really know too much about him um, he's been involved in the Panthers setup, but um, other than that, I think it's a good opportunity for him. But I don't necessarily think um, getting McFadden back is going to add too much depth or value to the side. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they're certainly spreading the um, the net far and wide too, aren't they? I mean, they've brought in um, a number two, oh, I'm just trying to remember the guy's name now, who's going to be the assistant coach, who's formerly uh, been the head coach of the Leeds Rhinos. Yeah, 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 that's right. I mean, yeah, his name escapes me too, like I was talking about before, the Super League one, you know, out of sight, out of mind, but... um. Well, like the Warriors, as I said, they're desperate to to start fresh. They they almost need to just hit that reset button, and they need to get rid of about 15 players and and tear their contracts up and start again. And and you know, there's a lot of pain in in, in the way before they start to get some game. But um, you know, I, I, this season I have no answers for the Warriors. You just look on the weekend where they had Wade Egan playing six, mm. and they had about three three other halves that they could have picked to play in that position, yet didn't. You know, and it's just a lot of these head scratching sort of lots of question marks around selections that you know don't give the fans faith and don't give the players faith and the playing group is not you know it's a bit all over the show and it's hard to keep up and and I and I understand why the fans are, are unhappy and you know and I'm sure they'll still turn out in, in big numbers on Friday night for for the Bulldogs match but um I don't know whether or not that they'll be able to pull a win. Well, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, that was weird. And you know, Wade Egan for some reason all of a sudden went, "I'm wearing a six. I don't have to tackle anyone." <laughs> well, I think it's because he's, he's making too many bloody tackles at nine. I think he's just had enough, you know, and he's probably still nursing a bit of a sore jaw after Nelson Asipa Solomona landed all 120 kilos on his face. So um, I don't blame him for not wanting to make any tackles. And, and to be fair, no one else really made any tackles against the Rabbitohs on the weekend either. No, that is true, mate. That is true. Uh, well, let's talk about <laughs> this. Uh, Rich uh, Richard Agar is the bloke I was thinking of. That's the guy. Yep, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe they're going to look at recruiting from Super League and maybe that's why part of the part of the reason uh, we'll have to see because uh, that has been done with different ver- uh, various levels of success by other clubs like Canberra, for example. Uh, let's look at this weekend, though. The Panthers in the storm. You think the Panthers got enough to get over the top? I mean, both teams are pretty depleted. Yeah, I think there's just an, an extra touch of class in this Panther side and I, I love watching them play and, they always turn it up for each other and they do such a great job. So I think they'll definitely, unless Munster is another blinder like he did on the weekend against the Titans, but I'd say it's um, it's Penrith's game to lose, that's for sure. Uh, you're not picking the Warriors, so I, I imagine you're going the Dogs for Friday night? Yeah, look, I think maybe, maybe uh, I was going to call it Ericsson, Mount Smart Stadium is probably enough to, to give the, the Warriors a, a loss by 12 or less, so um, that's probably about it. I don't think the Bulldogs will pull away too much, but um, yep, Bulldogs for me. Uh, Eels, Rabbitohs, this is uh, going to be a, a great clash. Two teams on form at the moment. And I'll tell you what, if you're playing um, fantasy NRL, Colin Matangi has got to be a, a must in your second row. Yeah, and look, he, you know, he, he made the, the Warriors' defence look silly last last week. They didn't know whether to tackle him, whether to hang off him. And every time they did, he got he got the decision right and um, you know scored a pretty soft try against him. He's a great player. This this game, really, it's you know the battle of the second row. We've got um, Papali'i up against Colin Matangi and... Um, Latrell Mitchell against Clint Gutherson. It's 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 a pretty 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 balanced side, and you know I'm I'm really thinking the Rabbitohs are going to cause some headaches into the finals. And I think if they can they can get the win against Parramatta here, they're they're pretty much setting themselves up for a, a, a very good chance of finishing in the top four. So you you go the uh, you go the rabbits. Yep yep south to win south to win. What about Roosters Cowboys? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually kind of thinking there's a little bit of an upset on the cards here. I thought, uh, I was, you know, I was probably being hopeful, thinking the Dragons were going to beat the Cowboys last week, but um, and then they didn't get that, and then the Cowboys came in a pretty tight game against the Bulldogs 
uh, the round just gone. But I'm 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 thinking that the Roosters are actually going to upset the Cowboys. I think it might you know it might take a little bit of Tedesco magic, but um I, I do believe that the Roosters have just just got a performance in them to get them over the line. All right, uh, and the Tigers Sharks, any chance for Brett Kamali? Uh, not unless he straps the boots on. Right. Okay. I'll get word to him. I'll get word. Uh, Broncos should take care of the Knights, should they? I mean, the Broncos are a hot and cold team, but they should be too good for the Knights. Yeah. Look, I think um, that they were pretty pretty ordinary on the weekend uh, against a pretty pretty solid Rooster side. But I, I think they're good enough to beat the Tigers. And if they're not, then you know that's their finals in jeopardy. You know, they they need to put away these teams at the bottom of the table. Tarek Sims has picked up a four-game ban for that high shot on Connor Tracy on the weekend. Um, so he's missing for the Raiders game. So uh, sticky or not, the Raiders should win that in Canberra. Yep. Uh, the, I mean, there's probably still a bit of bitter feelings towards um, the, the outcome of this game about six weeks ago where Ben Hunt lay all over uh, the, the, uh, the Raiders and, and got the got the win for the, the Dragons. But... Um, it's hard to win in Canberra. The Raiders have a pretty good record against the Dragons, so I'll be, I'll be making sure that the Green Machine get the win there. Yeah, and uh, finally the last game of the round, Seagulls-Titans. Uh, it's at the Goldie, but can't really see much past a, a Seagulls win. They'll, they'll be wanting to bounce back from that power loss. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if Cherry Evans has a strong kicking game, there's no way that the, the Titans can compete. We know all the Titans can score points, but I think Manly are just too classy and they'll get the job done. Nice. Good work. Uh, thanks very much for coming on, Stephen. Uh, keep up the good work at sportsfreak.co.nz. When can we expect uh, the next article? Yep, uh, you'll, you'll have it on Thursday, a couple of hours before the round starts, and um, we'll have all the info for there and, and, and all my little ramblings about the week ahead, so it should be all good. All right, looking forward to it, mate. Go well. Talk to you soon. Awesome, mate. Cheers, Ricardo. Cheers. At 23 past eight here on SENZ. When we come back, Brendan Nell is going to join us out of the Republic. It's 27 past eight here on SENZ. Extra time with you through till 11 o'clock. You can get hold of us on 8833. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine uh, with your thoughts on any of the stories, any of the things that guests have said on the show. Uh, there is some news coming through. Now, uh, Brad Lewis, who has, uh, he works for MediaWorks actually as a, a sports show, but he's been on the panel with Smithy a few times. Uh, he has uh, been tweeting in the last couple of hours that several F1 pundits are reporting that Pierre Gasly has an out clause in his Alpha Tori contract if Alpine come knocking and they want him. Door opens for Liam Lawson to have an F1 drive in 2023. A couple of other uh, New Zealand sports media types agreeing with him, saying they're hearing similar things. So sounds like it could be a done deal and we could have a Kiwi running around, uh, well, driving around, I should say, in F1 next season, which would be absolutely massive for him. Um, we have had one more of, of late, but didn't really work out that well. I don't know that he got a fair crack, to be fair, but Liam Lawson, uh, he might be better equipped. We'll find out. Eric Thompson's coming in uh, to the show, coming on to the show after 10 o'clock uh, to talk motorsport. We're going to cover off IndyCar, but we'll ask him about that as well and uh, get his take on what he thinks Liam Lawson's chances are and how he thinks he'll go at that level because uh, that is you know the highest profile of highest profile motorsports. So if you're a rev head, 10 o'clock, Eric Thompson joining us to talk uh, Liam Lawson to F1 and IndyCar, amongst other things. We'll also mention Hayden Padden as well uh, in the WRC too. All of that and more to come. Up next, though, we go to South Africa and Brendan Nell joins us to talk rugby. It is 26 away from nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Uh, can't quite get, uh, get Brendan Nell on the phone just yet. We'll keep trying him uh, through to nine o'clock before we hit at the Oki. But uh, 
Ian Foster was talking to the media today in South Africa, and this is what he had to say. Uh, Geordie's bad ankle, but not too bad. Uh, Bodie's uh, went for a scan last night on his neck. That's clear. So we'll just make a decision on that later in the week, but he's still a bit sore. Any concerns about that challenge? I mean, it was dealt with, I guess, on the field and everything, but... Oh, massive concerns. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the worst I've seen. Um, it's reckless. Pretty disappointing because it happened in the 10th minute as well and, and they deemed that was fair and that's part of the uh, problem in the game is that we're in a line-out. If you throw a jumper over to their line-out with an arm up, it's considered obstruction, whereas it's becoming a bit of a free-for-all for jumpers just to be able to jump and stick a hand out and say they're competing. So it needs to be addressed. Who, who considered it fair for them? Because I don't think the referee even... Had a second look at it at the game. He didn't, but the TMO said that the guy got a hand on it and then subsequently didn't didn't rule it as a knock-on when it was. So, um, But we, we've got to make sure that we're protecting guys in the air. And to be fair, you, if you're going to compete, you should at least show a couple of hands up. What's the process for that? Do you, do you send clips and ask for um, them to look at it this week? Or? Yep, definitely. It's particularly salient against these guys, isn't it? Because that's such a big part of their game, that chase of that high ball. And, yeah. Well, it is, but it becomes a little bit easier if, if there's sort of a, a a wide interpretation of what you can do underneath it. And so, um, you know, we've, we've got to look at our responsibilities in the year and, 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 and how we catch and stuff like that, because it's obviously it's coming. But um, same side, we do expect more protection than we got last night. Did Bowden actually go off for an HIA at the end there? Because he obviously brought Rico back on. Yeah. And it's a bit apart from the neck. Is no, nah, he's fine. In terms of shaping the back three, I guess you're comfortable with the cover that you've got? Yep. Yeah, we've got, we've got the players we want, so we'll um, make those decisions as the week goes on. Goes on. And perhaps you can provide a bit of context on this, because your comments after the game, where you called it, the, I think on TV, the best performance in to us the most improved performance in going up Cogs. It's had a lot of reaction back home. People kind of feel like, you know, maybe um, you have you know, they're looking at a different game or something. Can you just give some context on that? Why did you say that and and, and you know and do you stick by it now in Cog Light today? Yeah look I think the certainly I thought our defence and our, and our you know I think we were a lot sturdier in that space. We we defended well on the outside channels after after really negating their, their big carries close in, so I was pleased with that. Whereas against Ireland, we conceded a couple in that area. So I thought our, our line-out work, you know, we pressured theirs, but also we our line-out more defence, which was a you know a, a big work on for us. And I thought there was a big shift in that space. So, and and also a lot of our movements off the ball. I think we had a lot more certainty about what we were doing and. So you know, I felt that those series were ones that we targeted, and we did get a big movement in them. But um, you know, it wasn't good enough, and it's you know, I think I made the point that for all that good stuff, we still, uh, you know, a team's trying to find its feet. We you know, we're trying to we're trying to you know get out of this sort of three defeats, and and we're trying a little bit too hard, and then the errors are in big moments, and so that's the part that we've got to got to sort out very quickly. Does it become a kind of mental vicious cycle in some ways? The more you lose, the harder you try. Oh, look, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I'm incredibly proud of the effort that they're putting in and they're working hard. And we're not just, not in terms of effort, but also in, you know, problem solving and, and, and how we do it. Because there's, you know, believe it or not, there's still a lot of belief in the squad. And, and we kind of feel like we are taking steps, but, you know, we have to prove that. And so 
I did think we proved it in some areas, and and they were areas that have been a little bit of our Achilles heel before. So it was pleasing to do that, but you know we're gonna have to do it again on Saturday. I think you, you felt like you made some gains against um, rush defence against Ireland, but last night seemed to struggle um, with, with the box pressure there. How do you, how do you go about negating that? Yeah, they're different. You know, they're a very different beast, and we, um, like I said, I if you if you look at some of the the, the moments where you know it looked like that they won defensively, that there, there were opportunity around that, and that's the stuff that we're 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 slowly getting used to. You know, we know I mean over all the years playing South Africa, you you're always going to have big pressure points with the way they d. So um, so no, we didn't quite get it right on Saturday. But uh, the pleasing thing was is that there was certainly enough there for us to be interested in. Sorry, just a little catch pass skills, is that what you mean? Like when you create space, looking to finish those? Uh, just, well, it's just that last pass when we're under, when you've actually got them, but they're throwing, they're, they're throwing everything at that last situation to try to deal with it late. And if you, if you ex exercise that skill set, then you've got a lot of space in front. If you don't, then you're in trouble. I know you talked about this the other day, but there's a wider context here to South Africa not being in your Super Rugby ecosystem anymore. We're beginning to see the sort of high performance impact of that a wee bit, not having that variety of uh, rugby and Super Rugby at the moment. Yeah, look, it's that's a that's a question that's got so many answers, isn't it? I mean, I think I mean from a uh, rugby from the high performance side, I'd, I'd you know I'd love to be playing them more often. We've had a had a gap that we didn't haven't played them for a while. We had two last year with internationally, which was good. But certainly, you know, we, I think we've always benefited in the past from playing regularly against their super teams. Um, can't see it happening, which is sad. Well, you mentioned um, obviously some games in the lineup there. You had Sony and Hooker and pretty big challenge in just a second start, particularly in those first sort of twenty minutes. I mean. You, were you happy with his performance? And I guess, yeah. you know, what was the reluctance to, to give him a, a starting opportunity in the July series? Um, well, which question do you want to ask me first? Uh, how do you go? Well, I just asked about the one now, eh? and so, you know, the one now is I was delighted with him, and he played well, and so, um, you know, I thought he we liked him because he was um, quite uncomplicated and get phased. Uh, he carried well, um, you know. I think he. He's, he contributed well at scrum time, and and so you know he, he gets a big tick and you know big big test for him and um, and delighted with him really and uh, probably pretty pleased with that that front row in the second half too to be honest you know if you look at South Africa in big games they they really go to their scrum in that second half and it's a big part of their game and. And I thought our, our scrum grew stronger and stronger as that game went on, went on which again is another pleasing thing. Given you get a you know a crack straight back at these guys at, at a, obviously what's considered their you know their home citadel, is this a big week for the All Blacks and, and a big week for you? Yep. Oh, it's a it's a it's a huge week. I mean, every time you you know we, we always knew coming over here back to back test was going to be massive, and it would have been nice to win the first one. Um, but but we didn't, and so you go to Alice Park and all on the line, and it's um, you know it's a trophy that's pretty special for us, and and obviously part of the rugby championship. So, but you know we just gotta we just gotta have a deep breath. We know there's a lot of pressure on, and um, 
and we we are feeling that but we've also got our own pressure on ourselves because you know our, our job right now is to to look at our performance and how we can grow it so understand the frustration we get that but um doesn't change what we have to do here here and now and you know, there's no point sulking about it for too long we've just got to get into Alice Park and make some gains and and keep growing our game and still believing and you know I, I still think that there's there's uh uh, uh, something special brewing, but it's it's um, we've got to keep showing that. Given the box tactics work so well for them in terms of um, you know the high ball and the, and the breakdown and, and I guess they're quite a limited um, style of game. Do you expect them to do anything different? Uh, not 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 in the in the pressure moments. I don't think so. I think that they will. Um, you know, I think I'd be surprised they didn't try to move us around a little bit more at times um, if they can get quick ball. But uh, I think when the pressure comes on, that'll be their game, and it's um, you know, and that's why we, you know we need to make sure we seek clarification about what we can and can't do, particularly with high ball stuff, and and also with the breakdown stuff, and uh, you know how to move people, and you know we we just got to be a little bit sharper in our attack. Some fresh bodies might, you know. I mean, you obviously weigh these things in over the next few days, but could be some fresh bodies. Uh, uh, what the doctor ordered? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll be looking at making a couple of tweaks. You got any other injuries apart from Bowden and Geordie? No, my knees a bit sore, but apart from that, I'm good as gold. Yeah, just for, 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 for clarity, uh, the, the, the challenge you're referring to is not the one by Aaron Surratt at the end of the match. You talk about an earlier one. One on the tenth minute. There you go. Uh, so yeah, Fozzie uh, talking a few things. That uh, he didn't really answer it. But Bowden Barrett, all our back substitutions had been made, and he went uh, he went off and was replaced by Rico Yuani. Now Rico Yuani started the game, so he can't have gone back on as a substitute unless there was an HIA involved. That's my reading of that, but for some reason he didn't want to talk about that. Um, interesting. I mean, of course, you know, Bowden has had head knock injuries and he did land uh, on the back of his head. Um, it was pretty ugly. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Richie Mawanga start in the 10 jersey and maybe Bowden Barrett out of the team this week. We'll have to see. Apparently, the players being put up tomorrow are Richie Mawanga and Will Jordan. Does that mean both? of those Barrett brothers are not there, depending how bad Geordie's leg injury is. Uh, it'll be a wait and see, I guess, on that one. It is a quarter to nine here on SCNZ Extra Time. When we come back, hopefully we'll have Brendan Nell out of South Africa. It's ten away from nine here on SCNZ Extra Time, and Brendan Nell joins us out of South Africa. And, Brendan, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so, and I told you you'd win that test, didn't I? Yeah, I know. I know. Morning, brother. Yes, listen. I know you told me so, but uh, you know, to be honest, I've been at so many All Black tests that you never get. You sit there and you never get, uh, you know, too cocky or too uh, too relaxed because uh, you know you always know there's a chance they can come back. 2018 was the perfect example. The boxer had 20 points up, and All Blacks came back and won that one. So, yeah, I must admit it was an impressive performance by the Swingboks. Um, not so impressive, obviously, by the All Blacks, but. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a good one to be at. It was an absolutely amazing atmosphere and uh, yeah, a great test match to be at. Yeah, I mean it was uh, you, you absolutely dominated. You dominated the set piece. You dominated the breakdown, particularly. It was like you had fifteen Richie McCaws around the breakdown, mate. To be fair, um, 
were you surprised at how toothless the All Blacks were, particularly with the ball? Yes and no. I mean, I think I think we saw it in the Island Test as well. Yeah, they 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 just that that's sort of almost that second off the pace at the moment. And uh, yeah, I mean, you've got to put it, they they did threaten a couple of times. And and but I think you know you've got to give credit to that Springbok scramble defence. It was absolutely amazing on Saturday as well. Um, so I, I think it was a combination of both. Box obviously being very up for it, and yeah, the All Blacks just being a second or so off the pace at the moment of the top teams in the world. Yeah, that's that's definitely how it seems. Um, I, I don't hold out much hope for Alice Park. I mean, that's like trying to beat the All Blacks at Eden Park, isn't it? Trying to beat the Springboks at Alice Park. Uh, I, I actually think you'll probably win by more. I mean, what's been the reaction of the South African rugby public? Well, I think uh, yeah, a lot of joy. I mean, yeah, any time we beat the All Blacks, it's, it's, it automatically comes with you know quite a bit of joy and quite a, quite a bit of cockiness from the average fan anyway. Um, but And it doesn't happen that often, let's be honest. I mean, the All Blacks probably dominated the contest the last couple of years as well. So, so there's a, there's a lot of happiness with the way the Springboks playing. Um, yeah, I think the performance they put in was 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 especially pleasing for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, I think I think there's a hunger as well. I mean, I mean we've all gone through COVID and we've all gone through uh, you know, all these restrictions and without fans here in South Africa. And this was uh, the first real big game back. Um, you know, since we've been back having fans back, and I think uh, you can see that extra bit of hunger for people wanting Test rugby again, and especially you know, against the old enemy. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, talk about Ellis Park. I mean, yeah, the All Blacks actually have quite a good record there of late. They, they've won a couple there in the last couple of years, uh, but it is a very imposing venue. And uh, yeah, I think if the All Blacks don't up their game, I think they, they could have a problem because the Springboks did also leave a couple of tries on the table and so Yeah, they did. I mean, that is one thing I think if there is a silver lining from a New Zealand rugby fan point of view, it is that the All Black defence was very good and, you know, uh, other than that late yellow card, we we, we we didn't see too much in the way of that. It was a, it was a pretty hard-fought game defensively. Yeah, I think yeah, there wasn't. I know the coaches like to talk about inches and you know small margins and that. If you look at the, there's one stat that stood out to me this morning, looking at the stats of the game, the All Blacks beat 25 defenders. That shows you that they were pretty decent on attack, but but yeah, it's one thing beating that first defender; it's it's, it's finishing it off. And yeah, that's why I say the box scramble defense managed to you know, sort of smother them as soon as they did get through. Every time they did get a break. Um, they yeah, they smothered them and so yeah it's a warning for the Springboks as well that yeah they they're not that far away from clicking they just don't seem to have that sort of self confidence that they normally have and um, yeah I, I, yeah and, and they, they, I'm sure there's many factors for it um, I, they feel very much to me like the Springboks in you know 2016 2017 when they took those 50 points from the All Blacks um, they weren't a bad team but they, there was just something missing and and we know a change of coach changed it here in South Africa. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 starting to get the feeling that I think that's where you guys are heading as well. Yeah, it feels definitely feels that way. Uh, what about the Springboks side? Uh, I mean, everybody come through that fit. Do you expect a pretty much unchanged fifteen for next weekend? Uh, well, uh, there's there's a two obvious ones. I mean, look, Kurt the Orange, uh, um, that that horrible clash with Bodie um, um, late in the game, and I mean, I, I don't think there's any South African that you know, disputes that was a red. It was a really bad clash. It was. Pretty, at worst, clumsy and you know, well, at best, clumsy and at worst, um, very negligent. Um, nobody likes to see a player go down like that. Um, so he's either he's going to be anywhere out because he'll, he'll 
having the red card, he's probably going to miss the game and probably get a few more weeks banned anyway. For that, and he was stretched off, so I'm, we're not sure how you know, how he is. Uh, the Clark, obviously out in that first 40 seconds of the game, um, he'll have to go through HIA pro- protocol, so there's, there's a, a question mark about him. Although Jaden Hendrickson did pretty well you know, in, his, in his place. Um, so there, there'll have to be, at least on the reserve bench, probably on, on the scrum off, and there'll have to be a new wing over there as well. And then Dwayne Formillon's back and fit, so it'd be interesting to see if they give him another week. Um, they didn't pick him last week because they thought you know, he needs at least a week of training with him. So um, it'd be interesting to see if they pick him this week. And, uh, and yeah, a new winger, which will probably be somebody like Jesse Krill. They've got a couple of options. Uh, they can bring Vinny Larry back into full back and move Damien Vilimsa to wing, or they can bring Jesse Krill, who played you know, in 2018 against the All Blacks on wing as well. Uh, he's pretty good defensively. So they, we'll, we'll see two or three changes. But I think other than them sort of enforced ones, there's not going to be many. No, I wouldn't have thought so, mate. They did well. They played very well, and uh, I expect them to take your business again this weekend. Brendan, thanks for your time, mate. Go well. Anytime, mate. Yeah, it's a good game again on Saturday. Yeah, indeed. Here's hoping, mate. Here's hoping. It is uh, coming up 9 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Just gone 10 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Uh, Ricardo Paul was you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Coming up, Vic Essen, the football fern who is now playing for Glasgow Rangers women's team. Uh, we talked to her a little bit later on this hour. Right now, though, we're talking motorsport with Eric Thompson. G'day, ET. Uh, another massive weekend for Kiwis in motorsport. Uh, where should we start? I, I think Nashville's probably as good a place as any, right? <laughs> good old Nashville. Brilliant. I mean, it, there's only been two races on that road circuit, and both of them have been absolute doozies. They've been brilliant. It is so, mate. It was today. I I was I was watching that race, and I was like, I don't watch every round of IndyCar, right? But I and that was really the first time I'd seen them race on a street circuit like that. And man, there was a lot of drivers in there who didn't know how to drive on a street circuit like that. I mean, how many times did no. how many cars went into the wall? About eight. Eight or nine of them repeatedly making the same mistake but that that's a like if you look at nashville that city still looks like it was you know it's an old school city the architecture is beautiful you know it looks like straight out of the 60s it looks like it's been in a real contemporary time warp and the same thing is like the road surfaces are bumpy and you know like flying over that overfly bridge thing you know nearly 300 kilometers an hour and then sort of then run down into the that concrete chute I think it was turns eight, nine, and ten, and um, I know into turn eleven. Sorry, you know, flat out. I mean, of course, nobody's ever ever driven on that stuff before. But isn't it funny that some of the um, well, both Dixon and uh, McLaughlin, you know, cut their teeth on on the goat tracks of New Zealand and Australia. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, and there's no other for our, our race tracks, you know, except for Highland Park. You know, they're always, oh, and handed down, they're all just, you know, like generations old. So, um, and I, I think what helped, you know, it's helped Dixon, but also McLaughlin, because he, um, supercars. Mm. You know, he spent most of his career thundering around road circuits. So to them, especially Scotty McLaughlin, 
Now, to him, him, it's just, yeah, okay, it's a road course. But you're absolutely right when you say a lot of the other Americans will be going like, and, you know, Europeans and, you know, they don't have too much street, street circuits or street races in Europe. Um, we'll all be looking at that, those sort of things, scratching their head going, what on earth is going on here? Yeah, that was the thing I thought, um, you know, watching that race, I was like, you know, because there was, I think two or three high-profile drivers. I'm trying to think. I think uh, Castro Neves was one. I'm trying to remember who the others, maybe Ed Carpenter. But they crashed with no one near them. There was, like, completely, they just misread the road. Yeah, and um, the AJ Floyd car that just spun mm. just down the middle. Of the, it came out of the corner, just lit it up, and the thing just pinwheeled down the circuit. And, you know, there was Paul, I mean, Will Power's not my favourite of drivers, but, you know, he just uh, mocked. Yeah, probably not. But I do feel, you know, like the thing is he's minding his own business and he gets shunted in the rear because of somebody, you know, trying to go three wide somewhere, so he ends up with a bent gearbox. But I don't know whether too many people notice Roman Grosjean, mm. who when he was in Formula One, if you remember, always tangled up with his teammates and caused an awful lot of accidents. And he's starting to do the same thing in IndyCar. He, I mean, he went, he was again going three wide around the outside. You sort of go, what? It's a, it's a street circuit. Yeah. You don't do that. He gets squeezed. He squeezes a couple of guys off, and he gets squeezed later on. And and you're sort of going like, you can't. Again, it goes back to your point, Ricardo. You, you've got to realise it's it's not a road course. You know, it's not a racetrack. So you've got to think differently. And that paid to Dixon and his team. You know, he started 14th. Well, I was going to bring oh. that up because, yeah, he came from a long way back. I, I was watching the start of the race and I was like, oh, yeah, Dixon's further, you know, down. And so I wasn't really paying attention. And then I was looking and I was looking for him. And he was, no, he's not in the top 10. No, he's not in the top 10. No, he's not in the top 10. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, just, <laughs> just through sheer will, determination and staying there while other people were crashing out, he made his way into the, into the top 10. Next thing, he's leading the race. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and some of the safety cars helped him. You know, like normally he gets, you know, it all comes unstuck for him and his team of safety cars, but, you know, they put it at the right time. But, and, you know, his car got damaged, had some undertrade damage, so he didn't have as much downforce on the rear of the car as he would have liked. And he was saying that after the, you know, the post-race interview that he was, you know, he went the longest on his tyres, 47 laps. But they put the hards on in one of the pit stops under a yellow and just thought, well, we'll just go the whole length. So a couple of the other guys, including McLaughlin, had to pit again. But um, there's one thing about, I'd, I'd say a lot of people thought, oh, you know, Scott might have, as in McLaughlin might have done. I think McLaughlin drove a brilliant race. Sure, he wanted to win, but he knew in that last lap, you know, he sort of stuck his nose out and thought, oh, do I have a dive down here? And I reckon he realised that if I dive down here, I'm probably not going to make it. Um, I'm going to lose a shitload of points, bend the car, and, you know, maybe look like a bit of a, a dick. And I think he just hung back. And I, but, and I reckon there would have been a few other drivers in that, that race that had been sitting behind Dixon would have tried to lunge down yeah. and caused a bit of chaos. So I'd say for, you know, he's not a rookie anymore because this is his second season. McLaughlin, I, I thought that was a really mature decision-making. He said afterwards, I hate coming second, but he just made the right decision. 
and I think that bodes really well. It was a great drag race for the uh, for that final um, yeah. leg, wasn't it? You know, sort of the straight. Um, that was. I, I almost thought he was going to catch Scott, but he just didn't have quite enough. I think if that had gone another fifty meters, he probably would have. What do you reckon, Eric? Or have you lost Eric? We might have lost Eric. Is Eric still there? No, he's disappeared. Maybe he's put me on silent. He might have muted me. He didn't like what I was saying. Um, there you go. All right, a couple of things. Uh, we'll get back to Eric shortly. Uh, but a couple of things that have come out. The is a punter at the TAB has put fifty grand on the on the Springboks to the to win head to head at a dollar forty seven. Dollar forty seven for the Springboks to beat the All Blacks this weekend. A Kiwi punter at the TAB has put fifty grand on it. There you go. That is some brave punting. Or is it? Is that just a shrewd investment? Is that quick return? Will you be following them in? Let us know on the uh, text machine, double eight double three. Eric, sorry, you was I, I was saying, you know, if, if uh, that race had fifty more metres to go, that's last straight. I, I think Scotty McLaughlin might have caught Scott Dixon. Yeah, after the race, he said he just needed one more lap because he had, you know, he had uh, younger tyres on. He's getting better drive out of the corners, but you know, Dixon's been there. You know, he's a six-time champion. He's now clearly the second most winningest driver in yeah. that championship because he's got one more than um, uh, Andretti and he's only got, well, I think he's got another 10 to go to get to But he's Foyt, got but, um, 14, I think, because Foyt's but, on 67. Yeah, and but the other interesting thing, he's now two points off the lead, the championship mm-hmm. lead with three races to go. Yeah, and I mean, you know, winning the race is great, you know, and all the points you get, fantastic. But what those guys he's competing with did on that track this weekend also helped them a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that's experience. You just, stayed, you just stayed out of trouble. Yeah. That was superb, mate. Great race and great result. Kiwi won yeah. too um, at IndyCar. Hey, uh, something else I know you'll be absolutely fizzing about is um, I've seen this report. Brad Lewis, who I know you'll know, uh, has uh, was on Twitter earlier tonight saying several F1 pundits he's been talking to are reporting that Pierre Gasly is, has an out clause with AlphaTauri and Alpine are knocking. If they want, if he goes there, then there's a drive for Liam Lawson in F1 in 2023. That's uh, his summation. Uh, your take on that? I think it's possible. I wouldn't, because there are a couple of other Red Bull juniors floating around that are, um, I think the only thing that some of the team principals in Formula One will be looking for, I, well, put it this way. If Dr. Marco says Lawson will go into um, the, the, the second Red Bull team, he'll go. And he does seem to be the favourite at the moment. But then again, you you got to look a little bit at where he's sitting in the championship. I mean, he's he's as quick as anybody out there, without a shadow of a doubt. But it's just consistency, mm. and you know, and that's why um, Daniel Ricciardo's tenure is probably over because there's just no consistency. Well, he's consistently midfield and below. But I must admit that silly season, as they say, has been quite entertaining. And all it took was for one person to retire. You notice that? All the dominoes. As soon as Sebastian Vettel said, ah, I'm done. Boom. Chaos. 
It's all chaos right. in the category for drivers. I, I I did see that Mick Schumacher put his hand up and said he was ready. I'm sure I'm sure the the <laughs> uh, the Ferrari garage blanched at that, and they were like, oh god, how many more panel beaters would you have to hire to, if we get this bloke on board? But it depends on whether the marketing team of the, of an F1 team, if the marketing department can convince them that they can make a shitload of money on having that name in a car. Because you're right. Okay. Exactly. They're all extraordinarily talented to get there, but, you know, it's just, you know, like Lance Stroll, he shouldn't, you know, should he really be there? No. Not really? No. Nicholas Latifi, not really. Um, I mean, this all sounds odd. I mean, I've, as you well know, I've sort of, I've raced motorcycles, but I've never raced Formula One. But sometimes you've got to, that, that is a checkbook sport. Mm. So um, it'll just depend on whether the, they want the name in there. But I could imagine Alpine, the sporting director of Alpine's phone would have been going nut bars with every driver <laughs> no, around just saying, oh, I can do it, I can do it. And you just have to look to Formula E. Imagine the talent pool in there so, that you could just does that talent drive pool, from. How big are their checkbooks in, in Formula E? That's the question. None. None, yeah, that exactly. That entire category is on talent. All those drivers get paid. You cannot buy a seat in Formula E. And that's when people say, you know, I'm sort of, I, I find it quite interesting watching those things bounce around road circuits in the, in, in the middle of cities. And it's quite a lot of argy-bargy in that category. If you, yeah. want, if you want to see NASCAR open-wheel, I'd describe it as open-wheel NASCAR. <laughs> um, seriously. But all those guys there on talent, you can't buy a seat there. You can't buy a team. You can't, you can't do anything. You get picked on talent. So yeah. you, you can't go for a stroll, as Ben just said in my ear. No. Yes, you can't go for a stroll. And, oh, look, there's a Formula One car. Yeah, I think I'll get in. I'll jump in that. Thanks very much. So uh, when all the dominoes fall, what do you expect to see in 2023 in F1? Oh, I, I don't know. I might see. What I would like to see is Ricardo back at Renault. He did really well there. The, the car seemed to suit him. He got on well with the engineers. But then I don't know how much bad bribe was left there. I think he could. He's one of those guys that will probably go somewhere else, get picked up, and have a massive resurgence season. And, you know, the typical Larrikin Australian, you can give two fingers to everybody and say, yeah, see, I just needed a good car. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting, I think, with, and I'd also like to see Lando Norris with Piastri. Imagine somebody that's bold enough to just put two youngsters in a team. And just say, there you go, guys. No go ego, no number one. Let's just go. No, no number one. Just two young guys, you know, just going through it, hammer, hammer and tongs. Because if you look at most teams, they've got a, a veteran and a rookie, or not rookie, but a young driver. Yeah. And, you know, there's a certain sensibility about that strategy, but, hey, why not just... And it wouldn't surprise me if Zach Brown, um, CEO of McLaren Racing, you know, would just go, yeah, we'll just give it a go and see what happens. Give it a nudge. That would be Try really good different. to see. Try something Give different. Give it a nudge to see. Yeah. And here's a little curveball for you. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised, Yeah. and it depends on the next two or three races, if Lewis Hamilton might decide that he's going to become a full-time fashionista mm. and maybe leave. Now, can you, can you imagine how that would open things up? That would be... I'll tell you what, that, that might... 
and I could be wrong here, but I, that might maybe not spell the end of the checkbook driver, but those are drives where you need guys who can actually perform. So it's going to give people mm-hmm. chances who don't come with a checkbook but actually know how to drive. Yeah, and then, you know, like you could see some of the other young guys getting snapped up and moving in. And then, you know, it still leaves options open for um, Lawson, um, definitely. But I, I think he is the anointed one at the Red Bull Junior Drivers. You know, like um, at the time when Brendan Hartley was coming up through that before he got dumped, you know, he was Helmut Marco's sort of chosen one. Mm the pick for it so um but then again i don't that car hasn't been performing that well this season not like last season so you know again would lawson want to do that um well, well, I, so think... I think he'll, he'll probably grab grab any opportunity to get into form you know to actually get a, a full-time gig and and so you should yeah exactly why wouldn't you why wouldn't you, mate? I know we yeah. would if we were given the opportunity. Um, mate, I tell you what, you yeah. and you and I, I reckon, would not be able to get a Formula One car out of pit lane. Mate, well, to be honest, I wouldn't be able to get in the cockpit of one. I don't think. To be fair, <laughs> that's a bit harsh on yourself. But, but I mean, you've got to be like you know, you've got to be what about five foot? No, no taller than five foot eight, and you've got to be about what seventy kegs. Oh no, it's around about sixty-three now. Yeah. So yeah, no, mate, I'm not getting in one of those cockpits. No way. That's what. That's where uh, Mark Webber struggled because he's six-two, and getting him down to that sort of weight is just, you know, like that's almost like unhealthy. You, you get ill. Unhealthy. That's the word I was looking for, Ricardo. Go, hey, mate. just talking about healthy. Mm. Um, gotta say, Hayden Patton's result. Well, I was, I was, really he was the next, the next thing I was going to bring up. Yeah, getting on the podium there, that's great news. I, I, I'm outstanding. You know, I spoke to him earlier in the week, and he was still suffering from the after effects of the COVID he got in Estonia. Apparently, it really smacked him about. And he said he still had trouble breathing a bit, short, short of breath. But he said the best thing was the brain fog had disappeared. So he had clear thinking. But not to be, you know, 100%, hardly any time in that car, missing a whole rally, and you end up, you know, full-blown WRC2 category, and you end up third. And I think it was about 13th or 14th outright. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I'm gobsmacked about that, to be honest. It was a great drive, and, I mean, he was helped by the disqualification for the bloke that won. Um, Mm. But, I mean, that aside, still, I mean, that's fourth. Like you say, 14th overall, uh, and getting, getting the podium... Um, it's somewhere like the Rally of Finland, which is you know one of the more prestigious rallies as well. Does that mm-hmm. do anything to help get him a full-time drive in, in the WRC? What will happen and we'll have to see is when in September at the uh, Rally New Zealand, when he'll have more time to test the car, more time to get it sorted, because the car's not right for him yet. I mean, it's got hell of a raw speed, but he and John Kennard, his co-driver aren't, do not feel 100% comfortable in it just yet because they've done bugger all mileage in it. Um, if he wins the WRC2 category um, in New Zealand, because he's already signed up to do a full WRC2 championship next year in Europe, Okay. I just think the best thing for him, well, he'll get more factory support from Hyundai and probably more and more money 
so he'll be able to put together a bigger team. Because don't forget, this is a completely New Zealand team. It's all the mechanics, all the, everybody that's out there with him in Europe. It's all New Zealand. It's Hayden Padden Racing Group team. So it's not backed by any great, well, Hyundai New Zealand, of course. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a manufacturer's team. It's his, it's his team. And his dream is to actually go back to Europe with his team and, and hopefully try and win a WRC2 World Championship. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be absolutely huge. That'd be huge, Eric. All right, good stuff, mate. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Any anything else uh, that I've missed that you want to mention before we uh, before we wrap it? Oh, just to say that um, next weekend is funny enough going full circle back to Formula E. Mm. Is Mitch Evans is sitting second in that championship with I think three rounds to go, and they've got their next round um, this weekend coming up. And if, and you know if he can keep because he's finally he and the team have found consistency. So they're getting points and points. But it's Nick Cassidy who I've been watching. It's just unbelievable how that guy really just ha- doesn't do much. You know, it's first time in that championship. And he's already won two races. Easy, you know, mate. Sort of it's easy. Pack. But the best thing for me is you've got two New Zealanders in Formula E doing really well. Two New Zealanders in IndyCar, first and second. Two New Zealanders in Formula 2. One may actually get a Formula 1 gig. And, you know, and in two New Zealanders in supercars, both doing well. Well, one leading it and one sitting in the top eight. Yeah, it's not bad, is Dude, it? Dude, we ba- I think New Zealanders should abandon rugby totally. Just, just, just forget about rugby and cricket and concentrate on where we are doing extraordinarily well internationally. There, there you, you go. go. He said it. He said it. Well, I think we just about have given up on the rugby, mate, but that's right. I don't know if you heard that. We were getting you back on. The TAB sent out a tweet about uh, an hour ago now saying that uh, some Kiwi has put 50 grand on the South Africans to win the second test at $1.47. If that doesn't tell you they've given up on the All Blacks, I don't know what does. I mean, I don't watch it much, but I watched a little bit of those highlights. They're just clueless. But um, there you go. There you go. That's my take. That's my observation, mate. I don't. I don't need to write a thousand words on it. That's it. Hot, hot, hot rugby takes from ET. That's another feature on the show that we'll have coming up. <laughs> hey, Eric, th- thanks very much. It won't take long. It won't take long. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Go well. Catch up with you soon. Go. Hey, Ricardo, take it easy, mate. Thanks for the time. Really no appreciate worries. it. Yeah, you too, bud. You too. Eric Thompson there with us. It is 21 past 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. This is SENZ Extra Time, 26 past 10 on your Monday evening. With you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Coming up soon, Vic S in the football fern who has signed for Glasgow Rangers. And uh, we'll get to that shortly. But uh, this has just come out, a Sansa news release. Kirtley are in... Uh, Sorry, Kirtley Arredensa, who was the player that took uh, Bowden Barrett out mid-air, has been suspended for four weeks. So this is what it says. It says the Sanzar Foul Play Review Committee has accepted a guilty plea uh, for contravening Law 917. A player must not tackle, charge, pull, push or grasp an opponent whose feet are off the ground after he was red-carded during the rugby championship match at the weekend. Ardensa has been suspended from all forms of the game up until and including the 17th of September. The incident occurred in the 74th minute of the match between South Africa and New Zealand, played at Mumbella Stadium in Nelsprut on the 6th of August. Uh, it goes on, it says here, having conducted a detailed review of all the available evidence, including all camera angles and additional evidence, including from the player and submissions from his legal representative, 
the foul play committee review uh, review committee upheld the red card. With respect to the sanction, considered the act of foul play was reckless, highly dangerous, and had a considerable impact on the victim player. The committee accepted it was not deliberate, and after considering all relevant factors, decided the foul play merited a mid-range entry point of eight weeks. However, taking into account mitigating factors, including the player's clean judicial record and his acceptance of guilt in the first of, at the first available opportunity, the Foul Play Review Committee reduced the suspension to four weeks. So there you go, four weeks. It's interesting, I was talking to Justin Marshall after the game. He thought the guy was going to get 10 to 12. Uh, so probably uh, be interesting to see what Marshy thinks about that decision. Um, and also uh, interesting to get your thoughts and see whether or not you would go uh, in this hard on it. But the TAB have uh, put a text out in the last hour, a tweet out, I should say, in the last hour, that the uh, a punter has put 50 grand on South Africa to beat the All Blacks at $1.47 this weekend. Give me that, give me that brave on it. I, to be honest, I think I probably would. I can't see us winning at Ellis Park, but there you go. Uh, let us know what you think. Double eight, double three is the team for bedpost text machine. It is twenty nine past ten when we come back. Vic Essen joins us out of Glasgow. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you, and joining us now out of Glasgow, Scotland, is Vic Essen, Football Ferns keeper. G'day, Vic. How you doing? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. Great to chat to you, and congratulations on the move to such a historic club. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I've been here almost two weeks now and everything's been going pretty smoothly so far. So ready to crack into season in about a week's time. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a move for you that I guess puts you, uh, you know, you're, back, you're in the UK for I think the first time in your career, right? You've been, you've done it a weird way. You've gone to Texas, you've gone to Germany, you've gone to Norway. Now you're in the UK. <laughs> yeah, look, it's pretty nice being in an English speaking country. Um Obviously, I went to college in America, um, did, did some time in Norway and then in Germany. So I'm excited to be um, on the on the UK sort of, um, what do you call it, the um, transfer window, UK mm-hmm. transfer window, probably the best way to say, um, which is the kind of August to, to June um, season. And look, I'm excited to be here and, and uh, get cracking. Yeah, get cracking indeed. Because I mean, it's a it's a big club. It's a you know you'll know the history. It's a prestigious club, and I mean you've already got a taste of silverware, right? The uh, the Glasgow FA Women's Cup. You beat the old rival Celtic in the final. You you got to play ninety minutes. How how did that feel? Ah, uh, it was awesome to play. Yeah, it was great to to be in a game where I was challenged. Um, my my team had a great game. We scored two good goals. Um, the defense was solid. We didn't concede many shots, and obviously nice to to take. Away some silverware in preseason, yeah. especially against 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 Celtic. Was was Olivia Chance playing? Ah, uh, she wasn't playing, but she was there, so it was nice to catch up with her, um, and even nicer to get the win. Yeah, I bet, mate. I bet it's it seems to be the destination at the moment, Scotland. I mean, Katie Roode's just moved to Hearts. Michaela Moore's gone to Glasgow City, and obviously Olivia's already there. You're there, so there's a few Kiwis kicking around. Oh, uh, we're slowly taking over. <laughs> Seems to be a great um, a great place for Kiwis and Aussies to land because I noticed uh, there's quite a few, as is Bayich, the uh, Socceroos just joined Dundee United as well. There's probably, I reckon, about half a dozen um, Socceroos playing in the SPL as well. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a great stepping stone for the English leagues. Um, the, the Scotland leagues is getting better and better. Um, and this year it splits into... Um, 
six and six about halfway through the season, which means it's going to be even more competitive. Um, but yeah, look, English speaking, uh, a nice place to live, a safe place to live. And yeah, it's, um, I think it's a really good, good place to be for footballers. Yeah, you say English speaking. Have you, have you needed a translator yet? Because uh, some of those Glasgow accents can be a bit thick. Uh, almost every day I need a translation. <laughs> <laughs> have they, have I keep they... saying English speaking, but I don't know why, because it's really not. It's, I don't know, a different version of English, to be yeah. fair, but a little bit easier to understand than Norwegian and German. Yeah, for sure. What, what's the level like of, obviously, you know, the, the Scottish Premier League is, uh, is a reasonably new entity. Um, so what is the level like playing, you know, sort of Glasgow City, you got first game of the season, um, Celtic, you played in the, in the FA Cup, the Glasgow FA Cup. What's that level like compared to where you were playing in Germany and Norway previously? Yeah, so I, I can compare it to the couple of games that I've seen so far. Um, it's, it's just a different style of football. Uh, it's a physical style of football. The teams are, I play in and have played against um, have liked to bop the ball around, which is fantastic, keep possession. Uh, in Germany, it was, it, was, it was also very physical. Some teams would play quite a long game. Um, other teams, for example, Wolfsburg would um, have more possession against my team. So yeah, it's, what, what I like is that now I've had a few different styles of football i've had the you know the american the scandinavian um the german and now the scottish so um i feel like i'm becoming more of an all-round player as my eyes are uh, opened up to different styles of football across the world yeah which is fantastic you got the euros of course on your on your doorstep at the moment as well uh which are going really well for england i don't know how well that's going down in, in scotland that the english are in the final but um yeah, not well. Uh, but I mean, the whole vibe around uh, w women's football in the UK, it seems to just be on the up and up and up. And, and, you know, is there that feeling in Scotland now as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know <laughs> Scotland doesn't um, necessarily back England all the way. It's it's uh, like the New Zealand Aussie sort of rivalry. Um, but at the end of the day, everyone wants football to progress around the world. And that's the most important thing. So yeah, they've got fantastic crowds. Um, I think it's good England's doing well in terms of the other host country. Um, and it just helps to build women's football as a brand. And the more people that get involved, the more people that watch it, it just helps to, to grow the sport. How did you end up at Glasgow Rangers? How did that come about this move? Um, pro probably thanks to my agent. Um, he's the one with all the contacts. Um, and yeah, I, I believe that my agent and uh, the club were in touch and um, kind of one thing leads to another and then they end up um, signing the dotted line quite quickly. Yeah, it's cool. I, I, I heard when it happened, I was talking to Jacob Spoonley and he was like, hey, FYI, keep it under your hat, but Vickers signing for Rangers soon. So, you know, look out for that. And I was like, oh, great, great to hear. Great to hear. So, you know, you got lots of people cheering for you back here. Uh, Gordon Glenn Watson isn't your ancient by any chance, is he? Because I'm sure his phone book only includes Rangers phone numbers. <laughs> no, no, but um, maybe he'll be pleased that I'm here. Yeah, I think definitely, definitely. You'll probably be speaking to him before too long. Um, what about Melky Thompson, your boss at uh, at Rangers? What have the conversations been like with him? And what's the scenario for you going into the season? Is the number one jersey up for grabs? Are you seen as the number two? What's the, what's the story? What have you? What are your conversations been like? Uh, yeah, well, first off with Melky, that's one of the ones who I need a translation with. He's got a pretty <laughs> thick accent. Um, and he likes to chat, but look, he's a lovely guy, um, excited about football, he's passionate, 
he makes the girls excited to play. Um, he's calm, which is fantastic. That's what you want from a leader. Um, and in terms of playing, look, I think any spots up for grabs across the field, we've got a really competitive side. Uh, I think every position um, people are competing for, which is exactly what you want if you want to be a high-performing team. Um, it drives the level up at training. It drives the level up in games. Um, and, yeah, I, I look forward to the challenge. Um, I think we have a good goalkeeper unit. There's three goalkeepers and a, and a full-time goalkeeper coach. Um, and I think we're all trying to make each other better. At the end of the day, we just want to want to perform um, and want to get the results for the team. So, look, that's that's kind of where it stands at the moment. Um, we're all going to try and do our bit to, to get three points every game. Um, and whoever's in goal, um, I'm sure will put their best foot forward. Vic, there's the season coming. Uh, you know, you, you guys, uh, Rangers, everybody be looking to to knock you off the top. I mean, after you deposed Glasgow City and you got a, uh, another Glasgow derby to kick the season off against uh, Glasgow women as well. Yeah, they're an upcoming team um, promoted from the, the league below last year. So it's fantastic for them and they can get a taste of what the top league's like in Scotland. But of course, um, being winners last year, everyone's going to be looking to take um, points off us, but we're up to the challenge and we've had a good preseason so far and I think we're ready to crack into our first game. How much are you looking forward to that trip to Hungary in a couple of weeks, playing Ferenc Aros in the, in the qualifiers for the Champions League? Yeah, Champions League will be fantastic. It's um, something which everyone dreams of playing, right? So... I think the team, again, is in a good position. We would have had two league games by the time we get to the Champions League. Um, so everyone's ready for it. Everyone's excited. And hopefully we can um, get the wins required to proceed to the next round. Yeah, no, it'll be, I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on, on, on that and seeing if you can get through to the uh, the first round proper. That'd be, uh, be fantastic for you and for, for Scottish women's football with this new Scottish women's Premier League as well. Um, what about Yitka Klimkova, the, the Ferns coach? How much of a chat have you had with her ahead of this move to Glasgow? And where do you see yourself sitting in that Ferns environment? Yeah, we Yitka keeps in touch with all the players regularly. Um, and obviously she knows I'm here. Um, she's supportive of my decisions. She knows that the Scottish League is a good league. Um, it's becoming stronger and stronger every year. Rangers is a great team to be in a good environment, a professional environment, which is the most important thing. Um, it replicates uh, the types of environments that she wants us in um, from a national team coach standpoint. Um, and yeah, I think being in at Rangers sets me in a really good position to just uh, come into Fern's camps um, and and be ready to go. We seem to have some really good depth at the moment. Of course, Erin Naylor's been uh, you know the number one for a long time, but it feels like you've closed the gap. Lily Elfeld's closed the gap, and Elite obviously has moved to to Villa as well. She's closed the gap. We've got a we've got some real depth uh, at the Ferns in terms of the goalkeepers. It's exactly the position that the team needs to be in. We need competition all over the pitch. We need people playing. Um, and, yeah, it means that our standard is really high at training. Um, it's a great environment to be in. And, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's exactly where we want the team to be one year out from the World Cup. Yeah. Now, you grew up in Christchurch, right, and played all your football, I think, at Hallsville. Is that where you, grew, you came through? Yeah, was all united to uh, about 14, 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if your experience was anything like mine playing football growing up, there was usually a scattering of Kiwis at, a, at an English, uh, at a New Zealand football club, and the rest were expats, Scots, English, etc. Um, how much of an idea of 
how big Glasgow Rangers are did you have before you before you joined and before you had those conversations? Um, yeah, good question. I don't think coming from New Zealand, we've really uh, grasped fully the love of football uh, that some of these other countries have. Um, I actually went to a game the other night, the Amin's game, uh, Rangers v, v West Ham, and I, I barely watched the game, to be honest with you. I was just sitting watching the fans, um, the, the super fans that sit in one corner and they chant for 90 minutes. It's impressive. I was actually tiring just watching them, to be honest. Um, but yeah, and that's the that's what I saw on TV as I was growing up. Um, the English games and or the games in the UK, and and you see the crowds and the noise, but it's not actually until you get into the stadium and you get a feel for it that you go, yeah, man, these these countries are crazy about football. And I'd love for New Zealand to get to that place where the stands are packed and there's the super fans just chanting for 90 minutes straight so you can't hear anything on the pitch but that's the dream right that's, that's what we want for women's football especially in New Zealand and I really hope that the World Cup next year um, provides platform for New Zealanders to get on board and, and support football at home. Yeah well I think that, that that's definitely building uh, the the I think awareness of women's football uh, around the world and at home with the Phoenix professional team and the and you know the way the A League has gone as well is certainly building. I, I think we'll have a great World Cup when it's here. So very much looking forward to that. I, I do do have to ask you. I know Louise is sitting next to you, your press officer. Did you have to go through your wardrobe and throw out anything green before you signed the contract? I've already been told off about it. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I mean, Liv did give me a bit of a heads up, um, but I still rolled the dice on a shirt the other day and, and many people mention it. So yeah, unfortunately, um, nothing green in my wardrobe is going to be worn for the next few years, but that's okay. I can just but, put that in the back corner and uh, go from there. Yeah, outstanding, mate, outstanding. Hey, Vic, I, I'd like to just uh, finish with a, a quick five questions uh, to get to know you just a, a little bit better before we, before we go. Are you good for that? Yeah, no worries. Fire away. All right, mate. If I grab your phone now and I scroll onto your Spotify, what was the last song you played? Oh, good question. Um, I have to think what's on my playlist, to be honest. Maybe like Olivia Rodriguez, The, the Hardest Part. Is that a song? Yeah. I think we'll that's go, up there. We'll go with that. On the top three. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, in the last week and a half, I've interviewed about five players who've signed for the Phoenix women's team and I've asked them this question and I've only under, I've only known one of the answers what it was I was like what the hell I don't know what anybody's talking about maybe I'm just getting well, did old you know that one, then? I did know that one I did know that one oh, so there, that's you good. Go. there we go there we go <laughs> <I'm old>. <laughs> <laughs> um when you're a kid when you're growing up playing football and and you decided you know that it was a passion uh who was your footballing hero or heroes you know who'd you have a poster of the wall who, whose shirt were you wearing that sort of thing uh i'd actually say i'm one of the worst football supporters in the world to be honest as a kid <laughs> <laughs> i didn't watch a ton of football uh i never had sky growing up and when i was young that was really the only way to watch football um, YouTube wasn't a massive thing now football's so much more accessible via your phone uh, you know you can open up Instagram and you can see highlights from any game at any point in time um, so yeah I I didn't have 
a ton of heroes, um, but I do remember one player, Maya Jackman. She was the the face of New Zealand football uh, when I was growing up, and she was a fantastic player. So that would be one of the players which I thought, oh yeah, she's someone who I aspire to be like. Yeah, yeah, she's a good good role model to have. Uh, still involved in the game here, of course. Uh, if you got a um, a bit of time off, maybe it's off season. Uh, maybe maybe Melky's not watching too closely, uh, and you can you can have a, a cheat meal, comfort food. What's your go to? Oh, I'd say burger and fries for sure. Burger and fries, nice mate, nice. And as you're kicking back with your burger and fries, what's on the what's on the screen, mate? What's your like favorite movie, TV show? What are you into? Um, I'd be happy to watch any sports, to be honest. Um, just relaxing and and anything um, on the TV where it's football, basketball. Um, the Commonwealth Games are coming up, which would be something that I'd definitely be interested in watching. Um, yeah, just just getting a taste of other sports and seeing what's out there. Do you have a favourite other sport outside of football? Um, not really, to be honest, uh, but I like watching team sports. Um, I think they're fantastic. You know, any rugby league, I don't mind tennis as well. Um, all the Grand Slams are good ones to watch. Yeah, definitely, mate. Definitely. All right, last question for you, Vic, before we let you go. Who is the most yeah. famous person you've met? Oh, good question. Gordon Ramsay was in here the other day. Oh, wow. A decent one. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. <laughs> did, did he swear at you at all? No. No, no. no he's, he's not actually <laughs> He's not actually half bad. I think the, the videos online make him seem a lot worse than he actually is. <laughs> good stuff, mate. That's a great answer. Vic, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Congratulations again on the sign. I wish you all the best of luck for the coming season, and hopefully we can catch up with you again soon. Eh? Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> This is Extra Time on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you. We're just about to wrap things up for the evening. After 11 o'clock, we go to talk sport out of the UK and some of the big stories coming out of there, of course. At the moment, they're building up to the big fight between Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk, which is taking place on August the 20th. I see Joe Parker has been talking to Sky Sports in the UK, talking about how much of a dangerous fighter Anthony Joshua can be uh, right throughout the course, all the way to the end of a 12-rounder. And, of course, he's a man that's gone 12 rounds with Anthony Joshua. So looking forward to seeing that. And uh, no doubt the TalkSport boys will also be talking football. Lots to talk about uh, after a big weekend, first weekend, opening weekend in the Premier League. And still that transfer window open. And lots of stories coming out about who is linked to who. Looks like Timo Werner is getting his wish and moving back to RB Leipzig on a permanent deal. So uh, he will be out of the... Fell out with Thomas Tuchel. Never quite worked for him at Chelsea. Uh, And it looks like he might be off to Germany and back to his old club, RB Leipzig. So uh, one to keep an eye out for. And also United, Manchester United. They need players, and they've been linked with two, neither of whom are exactly setting the world on fire for United fans. And Marco Arnautovic out of Bologna, former Stoke and West Ham striker, who's played under Ten Hag before. And uh, Adrian Rabiot as well, the French international who's currently at Juventus, but comes with plenty of baggage. So no doubt they'll be talking all about that on Talk Sport, which is coming to you after this here on SENZ.